We're continuing our journey with Chronicle. Another look at a movie from European horror cinema which has been selected by a special guest host for this episode. Episode 3 sees Scott McKenzie make his first appearance to Chronicle. He is on the podcast Scott Liam vs Evil and has picked a movie which is a first time watch for him but a movie that this reviewer is more than knowledgeable about. This is Inferno from 1980 by master of horror Dario Argento. This is his spiritual sequel to his surprise hit Suspiria. You're listening to Chronicle, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0... I do not know what price I shall have to pay for breaking what we alchemists call Silentium. experiences of our colleagues should warn us not to upset laymen by imposing our knowledge upon them. The book! There are mysterious parts in that book, but the only true mystery is that our very lives are governed by dead people. Three mothers, the same as there were three fates and three furies. Man has always mistakenly called them by one terrifying name. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be left alone. Carla? My sister. Where is my sister? being watched and at times I think I actually feel a presence as if someone were in the room with me who lives in this damned house someone who is waiting but who you are being watched 
and welcome back ladies and gents so here we are the second movie review of chronicle season four once again extending the invitation out to podcasters all across the globe to bring a european horror movie for discussion on the show joining me is a man that i am no stranger to um i've spent m many a drunken hour blethering pish as they would say here, about um, movies, life, and stuff that I, I can't even remember or nor would be interesting on a recording like this. Um, he is one half of the Scotland vs. Evil podcast and also he is uh, one of my compadres over at the Jaws is Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts. It is the phenomenal Scott McKenzie. How's it going, Scott? How are you doing? How are you doing? That? I'm not so happy to be here. I mean, this could, this could be fun because this is like, we're, we're, there's a long story behind this, right, which we'll condense for the listeners, but um, I put out the invitation for, you know, guest appearance on Chronicle, pick a European horror movie, let's sit down and chat about it, and um, you were fairly quick in there, and then you kind of pinpointed on a specific genre and director that you were like, listen, I'm thinking this is what I want to do. And then um, you were saying that. Well, can maybe... I, I? Can I? I can yeah. I uh, just tell him, Bruce? Because yes. I figured, because if, if anybody's uh, familiar with that, with uh, Scotland or with uh, George Shite, I had a whole big set up the last couple of episodes just uh, where I, I went in the review van. And I maybe used the term jello shaggers, and I may have been a bit too, too uh, off the cuff or whatever. But I thought, you know, this is the perfect time perfect to jump in, pick a jello, and just, you know, with a, talk about it with a. With a Aficionado yourself, and uh, yeah, so uh, I can tell them I picked uh, Inferno. Yep, he picked Inferno, which I very quickly told you technically isn't a Jallo, but <laughs> but there is a whole swath. This is what, like, you know, what horror fans are like. We're inclusive, we don't argue, we're not pedantic, we're, we're all friendly, and um, there is a huge swath of the internet that would swear down like hardcore that Inferno is in fact a Jallo. So, but to be fair, I actually thought I was picking up a lot of the things that make Jello Jello when I was watching that. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, uh -huh. I was actually originally the first thought I thought was when you said pick a European horror, I thought, right, I'm going to go Gaspar Noe. But then I thought, because he is one of my favorite yeah. European directors, then I thought that was too on the nose, kind of like you know, like a like a film student, uh, just in all over Quentin Tarantino, you know. And I thought, it's too obvious. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing a little guy I don't know if you've heard of him it was uh, Gaspar Noe and uh, <laughs> the movie we're going to discuss Duncan um, no like you you, you picked a, you picked a movie which I mean Inferno you, to you me, want me to tell you I picked a movie that I owned <laughs> you owned yeah oh excellent I've had it for, I've had it for 80s it was one of the it's an arrow uh, copy I've had so I've had it for a long time and I was just looking through uh, the Blu-rays and stuff and I thought it's European what can I pick and I've seen it I thought you know, I've not watched that yet. Let's go for it. So you've never seen it before? No, I've never watched that it. That surprises me because yeah. I know that you, you, you. I'm not going to say a massive fan, but I know that you dig on the Suspiria. Yeah. And this is technically his follow-up movie and yeah. the spiritual sequel. So I would have just assumed, finish Suspiria, kind of like what this guy's doing on Inferno. You, you would think so. <laughs> you would think that would be the natural progression, but no, I just, I just never found the time to, to <clears throat> go on watching that one. So yeah. This uh, this episode is perfect. Excuse. Oh yeah, I, like I'm like super excited. I I've um I don't think I've formally ever reviewed Inferno on any show that I've done. We did it as part of way 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 back in the day. It was like 2014. I did a director's 
kind of roundtable different podcasters and we chose Argento and we went through every single Argento movie um, but it was like spend five minutes chatting about an Argento movie on to the next one we did them chronologically and it, it's it quite was, a lot yeah, oh yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's a there's a distinct drop off point right the, the guy had about maybe a, almost two and a half decades of like 90% of what he released is of like a really 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 high quality or just interesting to talk about and then the 90s arrived and somewhere in the middle of that 90s he just kind of lost his shit um, and then the 2000s are pretty miserable um, so that's why everyone's so excited about this new one that's um, going to be making its way to Shudder is, is it going to be a return to form or is it going to be an extension of his last film which was Dracula 3D which is easily one of the worst movies I saw the year it came out so well, you, you could probably argue, and obviously I've not seen his entire back panel because I don't know for sure, but you probably argue that he was a product of his time mm-hmm. in terms of the movies he was making, them were great, and then he just never managed to progress the way that, you know, movies were progressing. He was making stuff that just wasn't fitting in with the time, or it was not good in terms of what could be done, and he just was missing the mark. There's a, the, the Italian system was very different <coughs> from a lot of other kind of filmic systems it was basically it was very mafia kind of thing it was like all families that were interconnected that knew each other they all got jobs for each other um this is real life yeah yeah yeah. and real life like so argento like if you look at like argento kind of didn't formally study under but was kind of mentored by mario bava he would go on to mentor mario bava's son lamberto bava he would also like his um, his brother um claudio argento is the he's the producer on this movie um michael suave who would go on and do like things like the church cemetery man like stage fright aquarius he studied under Argento, so they were all, and like, Fulci had people that were working under him, writers wrote basically across the whole thing, and then you had a tier above that, which was all the composers, so Ennio Morricone was working with all these guys, um, you, you had, think, people like Bruno Mattai, like, um, j- just, there was a kind of, it was a weird, sit- like, and all these directors were essentially, for the most part, job bodies, w- with the exception of Argento, they would do, like, about four movies a year, and maybe one of them was a giallo, but one would be a spaghetti western, one could be a sci-fi action movie or a cop drama, and they all just, like, they diversified. And, and that just, just laundered the drug money through the whole year, then? Well, this is the... Like, there's, there, there is, a, there is a, a theory out there that certain directors that were of a certain calibre you can see the movies are slumming it in and that might be because money's been funneled somewhere. Um, and Argento's, Argento's like a really, he's an interesting director in that his first movie is, you know, Bird with the Crystal Plumage came out in 1970 and basically yeah, I, made him yeah, a I'm rock trying. star. Well, I'm trying to watch that one yeah. right now and I'm, I'm three, show, uh, three uh, goes so far and I think yeah. I'm about maybe just past a quarter of the way in. Yeah, is, so is, I'm trying. Is the, is the one that kind of... Like in the in the Jallo world, um, Mario Bava is the guy that really kind of started to set the template out about 63, 64. He started doing movies which were essentially pulpy crime thrillers, um, but with like huge artistic flair, like all those colors that you love. Uh, Bava, that was Bava's game. Movies like Blood and Black Lace. He kind of starts to set the template for that, and they never become huge. But Bava, for whatever reason, at the time, he was never really appreciated for what he could do. Um, And Argento came out in 1970 with his 
first kind of crime thriller, which is Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which was a huge international success, big in America. And that was him. Like, from there, he became a bit of a rock star, for better or worse. The The problem with Argento is that, like, the money started to... Like, the money that he could have been afforded, uh, the Italian film system went in decline in the late 80s. So he, he wasn't getting the budgets. He wasn't really all that interested in actors. He was more interested in composition and you know like what he could do with lighting and what he could do with storytelling it was never really one of these guys that was like i like that performance however could you a bit more inflection on this part he, he didn't do that he notoriously very much like hitchcock actually notoriously didn't really want to spend much time speaking to actors what that actually explains some of the points I've written down throughout this movie. To be, yeah, you to get you you get performances which are just <coughs> and weirdly sometimes they work like in the movie and that like they're so off ball and so strange it kind of adds to the atmosphere. But he couldn't give a fuck about actors, right? So there's very few Argento movies that you come away from got that. You know what? Fucking acting what across the board was amazing because he just didn't care. Um, but. He, he he made this baffling choice of he made the the animal trilogy, which is uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, uh, Cat and Nine Tails, and Four Flies in Grey Velvet back to back. It's basically two years he made like a, a definitive three Jalo movies, and then he was like that. That's me done. Ain't getting typecast. Here is a romantic drama comedy called Five Nights in Milan, and it fucking flopped. And no one liked it. Critically, it was panned and uh, licked his wounds and came back with Deep Red, which is, like, arguably, depending on who you speak to, um, arguably the best Jalo ever made. Come back with this, like, absolute fucking insane, like, nightmare vision. And he did his Jalo, and he's like, right, I've got that out of my system, and I want to do a supernatural movie, which is Suspiria. So this is him transitioning over two years later to make Suspiria. And Suspiria is fucking huge. Like, American market gobbled it up, European market gobbled it up, Asian market loved it. So, like, all of a sudden, he was, like, he could do no wrong. He had, like, the Beatles effect. If Argento was walking down the street of Rome, there was, you know, girls screaming after him and all the rest. And I think it went to his head. Um, so his next movie that he gets budget for, a decent budget for, is Inferno. And he's like that, well, Suspiria was always, see if this rings a bell. Suspiria was always supposed to be a trilogy. I know I never mentioned it when the film came out, but now it's been really successful. It was always supposed to be a trilogy. Um, and it's going to cover the three mothers. And uh, this next movie is the second installment of that. And everyone's like, cool. And for whatever reason, Inferno didn't get like a proper international push. So, and it's kind of maligned and we'll get into it a little bit more. But like the three mothers names, one of them is Mater Tenebranum. So when his follow-up movie in 82 comes out called Tenebrae, everyone's like that third one in the Three Mothers trilogy and he just made another giallo which was not linked at all but had the so name in it Tenebrae's not in the third one? No Is there a third one? Yes, yes <laughs> The third one came out in 2007 Inferno 2 uh, It was called uh, the, it's, um, In 2007? Yeah, 2007 Fuck That's just That's just It's nuts audience, it's, like, it's what I told you It's absolutely <laughs> It's kind of like he made Inferno right and he set up all the parts and this great idea of what he was going to do and then just literally lost interest in it. Um, and Tenebrae is like, Tenebrae is a straight up fucking slasher giallo. It's, I think it's his, it's my favourite Argento movie. It's absolutely fucking bonkers. I would have probably watched it 
And I probably watched it thinking it was a sequel and it was the third in the trilogy. Yeah. Not had a clue what was going on, but then still accepted that was a third one in the yep. trilogy. Well, he, he, because, he, because, 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 uh, isn't he really linked to Suspiria other than they say Suspiria a couple of times? Yeah. 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 You, you just think, oh, okay, three different sisters, three different, or three different mothers, three different places. That's just fine. Three, yeah. three loosely connected stories. Yeah. As, as, and the thing about it as well, the even more confusing part is uh, Tenebrae is set in Rome. And that's where the third house this, is. Yeah. So I uh, like it's just, it's fucking. I don't, I don't understand. He's a he's a weird man, right? And he's a bit bonkers. And so yeah, so he made a ton of other movies after Inferno. He didn't really make another supernatural horror after Inferno until um, Three Mothers uh, was when he kind of come back and did, you know, well, he, uh, Mother of Tears, which is the conclusion of the Three Mothers trilogy. And that's the only really that's the only ones he's really done um, out with Dracula. 3D, which is awful. Um, it's all been mostly Jallos, or he did like a, he did some work with um, George A. Romero on Two Evil Eyes, which are um, uh, Poe adaptations. So he did a Poe adaptation um, of the of the Black Cat, which has been done about a million times in Italy. Everyone's done the Black Cat. So I so Inferno is the follow up, but the reason I was excited about this one is on paper. All the style that you like, like when people talk about like Nicholas Winden Refn, which I, I noted recently you were you were watching, or a, like a, a like a Joe. I've Bakers. been rolling about in uh, Winden Refn for oh, the last couple of days. Do you know what? I've been rolling about in the soundtrack to Only God, uh, Only God Forgives. Yeah. There's one song on the on the soundtrack on Spotify. If you listen to it, it's called uh, Sister Part Two or Sister Part One. Mm-hmm. And it's only about it's like three minutes, whatever. Uh, I've been night shifting the times that I'm not particularly like on the observing like floor like you get you take we take turns I've been just reading on my Kindle and I've had in one year I just had that so that song just playing on the peak it's atmospheric yep. and it's just relaxing and peaceful and it's just I'm just like oh, I fucking love it Did, like, that, that is the, the movie that I would pull a Scott on and I would argue vehemently as a horror movie uh, oh my God, God forgives him. like that. Yeah, wee, that, yeah, that wee, the, the wee yeah. Asian man that that goes on the killing rampage, the old guy, is basically a slasher killer. He's basically yeah. Michael Myers. He, he can't be stopped. He he walks, never runs. He always catches you, and he's he's a he's like he's bent on revenge in a way. Yeah, and then spoiler alert, he, he calmly kicks Rocky around goes on the wheel. Oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> there's that as well. Uh, but yeah, like all all those directors, the Joe Bigos and all the rest, all the ones that use those colors to that level. It's Inferno, really. Like, they'll say Suspiria. They'll all say Suspiria. But like the and Suspiria has mental colors, but Inferno is the red, one. Doesn't it? Yeah, and like Inferno is the one where he goes like all out. Like yeah. every room has bizarre colors, lightens all in strange places, and it's the one that I, I, I knew that like, the the Joe Bigos film stuff wasn't the OG. I knew that I knew they got it because I knew they were heavy influence, but I just never bothered to go back and find it. The, the problem the problem is as well is the, like they take the they obviously take the visual style but they don't take the the storytelling style which in a lot of ways benefits if you know what I mean Inferno is essentially I, the way I've described it in the past is it's the closest I've ever gotten to seeing a nightmare on film and that it logically doesn't really make sense and at the same time like places you know when you have like a bad dream. And um, you're in a place, and you open a door, and you oh, yeah. open that door. Page six of my notes is here somewhere. Right, so like, this movie. <laughs> 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 I don't totally, no, totally know what you mean. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Somewhere, you know you're somewhere. You're yeah. somewhere completely different. But then, 
you don't then you don't know where you are. Then it's all just all over the place. Yeah, never, you totally like, walk it. You lock the door and you walk it, and you're like, this is not. But you know the room that you're in. You know what the next room should be, and you open the door and you're like, why am I in like a 16th century castle? <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, before, before I spoil all your notes, and we need to two get, things. Two yeah. things before we get into notes. Two uh, points. One, uh, speaking of Gaspar Noé, like I was speaking earlier on, Gaspar Noé depends. I, I've never heard him say it, so I'm going to say no. Um, yeah. He actually has got a movie at the Classical Film Festival, which I'm really wanting to go and see. Not part of Fest. It's the Dementia one that stars Argento. Uh, Argento, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Got great, it got great reviews. Yeah. So. And uh, so that, I just thought it was quite a wee tie in there. Like for this, like, I'm really want to try and make it work that I can just jump into the, the GFT and see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, do you think. Wyndham Refn really regrets casting that boy in the guest because otherwise he could have had the Gosling trilogy with the, the end of the colours. I mean, come on. Yeah, he wishes I, he could go back and change that because that would be the perfect box set right there. Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, I, I, speaking of Wyndham Refn, Wyndham Refn is not only a massive admirer of, once again, Argento, but like specifically has done restoration work. I've got somewhere about here did I sell it? No, I did actually. I sold it, uh, which is unlike me. But I had the... Before Dawn of the Dead got its 4K restoration from Second Sight, there was an Italian print of the Argento cut, uh, which is just known as uh, Zombie. Um, Z-O-M-B-I instead of I-E. Uh, it's called Zombie, and it's Argento's cut of Romero's uh, Dawn of that's the Dead. That's the one that's just like pretty much full music in it. Oh, yeah, well, Goblin scored the ice. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's oh, like, yeah. he's but, like yeah, who's this fucking Goblin scoring it? I'm, I'm going to recut it. it is, a lot of people don't like it. I, I think it's um, it's a bit bonkers and it's kind of refreshing to watch. Um, and Argento goes for much more violence in it and a lot less of the social commentary, which is what kind of makes the movie. But that got released and the print for that, the 4K restoration print, was oversaw by Nicholas Winden Refn. So Argento trusted him enough to, to run with that. And it was this great box set that I had and I couldn't wait to watch it. And well, you know, Scott, I never opened it and then sold it unopened uh, for a lot more money than I would have got had I opened it. So Well, that's then take profits when you get them. 100%. It's what paid for, actually paid for the cost of the second site release because uh, the other one was at a That was a nice, uh, that's a, 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 a costly release, that one. I was like, that's how we do it. Bring it one, get rid of one. Um, they actually kind of personally because that came out uh, the height of the UK lockdown when everybody was stuck in the house. Everybody still got their monthly wages and nobody could go and spend it. So they're yeah. all like, fucking 70 quid on a DVD. Yeah. Push. Well, the, 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 whatever the, version you got, 4K, maybe more dearer than the show. They're, uh, they're, they're regretting the old Martin thing because uh, they're obviously releasing um, Romero's Martin and it got delayed and delayed. And then they had a release date for it and then in a Canadian. A Canadian film university or something they filmed and this was rumoured to have existed but no one knew about it they filmed the three hour black and white original cut that uh, George A. Romero wanted to release because he wanted to release it in black and white studio disagreed it's going to be a lot more kind of gothic kind of styled they didn't want it and it was three hours long and the studio didn't want to finance it so um, the second site have basically paused the Martin release now to try and get their hands on this so they can put it in their box set which will drive up the cost but also delay it like another year and a half so uh, I mean I'm moaning now but I won't be moaning when I own it so that's you know you know how we do this uh, so let, let's give you some detail on this one Inferno 1980 directed by Dario Argento um, it is actually 
based on, uh, loosely based on the story Suspiria de Profundis by Thomas de Quincey, who originally wrote about the three mothers. Um, however, the story and screenplay is, if you watch the movie, it's Dario Argento, but actually in real life, it was both Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi, um, his then, I don't know if they ever married, but mother of his children, uh, who also co-wrote Suspiria, but for whatever fucking reason, she's credited on Suspiria. She ain't credited on this. He did not give her Excellent. credit. And she wrote this as a total dick move. Um, he, he just did not give her credit at all for the story. And she was heavily involved. In fact, she said that she wrote like her parts of the story when she was staying in a hotel overlooking Central Park in New York, which would make a lot of sense when you see the fucking movie. Um... Anyway, anyway, getting, a, getting ahead of ourselves here. Uh, the, the movie stars uh, Lee McCloskey, Irene Miracle, uh, Anora Giorgi, uh, Daria Nicolodi herself is in this, Sasha Pityoff, Alda Vili, uh, Veronica Lazar, uh, Gabriel Lavia, um, we have Fedor, you've got a weird name so I'm not doing that, and lots of other people that don't really have much consequence on the story. Uh, synopsis, and we're going to take this with a pinch of salt because yes, these things do technically happen in a roundabout way. An American college student in Rome and his sister in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where the residence addresses are the domain of two covens of witches. So there you go. This takes place in two places. Technically does, yeah. It takes place in Rome and in New York. See the okay. see the deaths that, see the deaths that the dudes It's really because the first time I ever watched this it didn't make it made less sense than it does once you kinda Do you know what do you know what I need is, is thirty seconds or even five seconds they're gonna play. And well, that's it. That was all you need. Then I'll get it off. Okay, he's went something. The, the the he's sitting see when he's sitting in the auditorium. Oh, I don't even get that scene and the weird lassie just staring with the cat. She's not paying attention to the students at all. Well, the... <laughs> I don't think she's... She's failing that class. I don't think she's a student. I think she's the third mother. I'll, we'll get she into actually... it. Yeah, we'll get it. Well, we'll get into it. Right, uh, but, like, he's got his sister's letter, which yeah. I love where his sister writes the letter. She doesn't even bother writing the full address, just in the top corner. She writes, New York. Um... <laughs> He'll find me. Uh, but like she, she sends his letter to him and when he's sitting in the auditorium, he takes the letter out but doesn't read it and leaves it. So he's in Rome studying musicology, which is a made-up word as he's studying music. Um, but like he puts it down and then the, the, his friend, companion, girlfriend, whoever she is, she just lifts the note up and she reads it and then she goes to what you think if it's your first time watching it and or maybe even your second time watching it and you're not okay with how weird the story is, she goes to their apartment in Rome. Um right. and that's where she dies. But the assumption is that's the that's the second coven, that's the coven of the mother of tears, uh, who is the woman in the auditorium with the cat, who's apparently right. very attractive. Um but she dies there and then he phones his sister and he speaks to her on the phone and she hangs up and she tells him to come to New York so he flies from Rome to New York and that's where the rest of the story takes place. So what is the chances that the, the brother and sister happen to go with the two cousins just coincidentally? What are the chances of that? I mean, I, I mean, if you're asking me what what is the likelihood, I mean, I've seen the I've seen the Die Hard movies. How can the same shit happen to the same guy <laughs> 
point. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that's a bit. Basically, the the, the premise of this story is that this deals with uh, Mater Lacrimorum, who's based in New York. She is the mother of no mother of dark. Mother of size is the is Suspirium, um, and it's the mother of fucking darkness or some shit like that um and that's the one that's in new york right so basically we have a girl who is obsessed with poetry who stays in in the new york women's job what sorry women's work yes there's a couple there's a couple (laughs) of sentences here there's a reason like argento and tenebrae has a scene where the author um is getting attacked by the press for being essentially chauvinistic and it's in there because Argento was attacked a lot for being like incredibly chauvinistic and at the same time, like just in general, uh, very cruel to women in these movies, which a lot of people don't recognise that majority of these movies, um, the women are the heroes. But once again, that's me defending a guy that doesn't need to be defended. When you hear sentences like this, I think Argento wrote that and not Daria Nicolodi. I don't think she wrote that sentence. Um, and then she wasn't credited in the, in the storytelling. So she may have wanted to write that sentence. I don't know. But so like she's there. She comes across a book that she buys from the antique bookstore next door to her. Can I ask about the book? It's yes. the very first scene. She uses a, a big knife to cut the top pages open. Was that how it used to be? Is that a real thing? I have not a fucking clue. <laughs> what was that about? She's like, because people just big one big that paper folded together and just yeah. they sliced it in bits of the paper to get the pages up. And, and also, just to confuse people again with the old uh, Tenebrae isn't the third instalment, even though it has the name that makes sense, the beginning of that movie also starts with someone reading a book and I'm fairly sure the person that's narrating it is the same voice as the person narrating this. But she comes the, across... I got the, narrate, the narration at the start, it's quite a lot of info at the start of the opening yes. monologue and it's also info that's quite baffling. Yes, well, yeah. this is this is him trying to let you know that this is the second instalment of a, a trilogy. So, when they mention the, specifically um, Freiburg, it, which is where the ballet school is in uh, Suspiria. Right. Is is it? Um, naturally in English, or is it? Uh, is that is it dubbed? So English this one or? was American funded, so they actually <laughs> it's still dubbed. Because I tried to put it on. I tried to put it on. Uh, uh, with subtitles because I thought yeah. I thought it was supposed to be but it all dropped in English it's called no. but all English. Yeah, yeah, like Spaghetti Westerns like that's what Clint Eastwood said when he went to film the Spaghetti Westerns they said make sure you take a record of what you're saying and he's like why is it because they dub everything they'll lose the original yeah, they don't film anything with sound the yeah, ADR and everything yeah and he's like no that'd be fine I'll remember what I said and then that's exactly what happened they lost the audio track and he had to try and remember what he was saying in all those movies that's why he's dubbing his, his off yeah it's, it's so like, it's probably the same in these movies yeah is it like the like especially with English ones it's not too bad because you can sync it up but when they're speaking Italian and you're speaking English over it it's never going to fit um, it never looks right either but yeah so it was because it was American funded and I want to say this one may have been shot in America I might be wrong about that um, it's I don't pretty sound the names for a lot of the actors isn't it so yes. is it yeah so it could be it's a combination so there's like, there's people like here that Western. are Names. 100% definitely Italian and there's other people here that are definitely American um, so he, right. So basically she opens this book and this book appears to be 
like not a work of fiction, but not necessarily a work of truth. Yeah, but this is this 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 book is fiction, but it's also not fact. You're yeah. like, you're like, what is it? So what's right or wrong? Yeah. So it's, it's supposed to be the memoirs of an alchemist who was also an architect and apparently a builder, um, who was employed by these three mothers uh, to build three houses, uh, elaborate houses in three different locations, which he thought were random at first. One in Freiburg, one in Rome, so Germany, uh, Italy, and one in New York. And it wasn't until after he built them that he realised that apparently there was a, a significance, a power spot of significance, basically built over a hellmouth. That's what he did. It's the Buffy. Yeah. That's what it is. So they built them over there, and this was his kind of confessions, so to speak, of this work. Uh, and how he, he broke the sacred code of the alchemist in doing this work. Um, so something bad might happen to him, which is foreshadowing for at the end of the movie. Um, so she reads this. She gets a bit paranoid about it, that she might be staying in one of the... Like, it, I, this is, so she's already there. She's in the house. She because the way the house. it is, she reads the book, she looks at the picture in the book, or like a sketch on that paper, and then goes for that sketch to like a paint, like a sketch painting print on the wall, yep. which... Two different looks of two different buildings. Obviously, it looks you know same dimensions, but they just the color makes it look different. Yes. And then it goes with that print to the actual building, which again looks like a different building again. Yeah. So it looks, looks like you know, it looks at three different buildings, and it see it makes it appear as if she's went to that building, but she already lives there. So but she yeah. The only reason up, we, yeah the only reason we find out that she actually lives there is after the water scene. Um, she runs right into the building and then she goes up to her apartment. Um, that's the only oh, yeah. way. But that's the thing. The only it's not very clear. I don't, no, I don't, no, no. Nothing in no. this movie's clear. That's yeah. like well, once again, like that, like like see. So, so she lives in that building, right? yeah. she, and she does go there. And I've got some notes on that in the watch scene because uh, if you listen to my review of uh, Deep House, you know that I fucking love things that stuff that shouldn't be on well, the you're going to love this even more when oh. I give you all the, the details about exactly like the, the underwater scene and how it actually happened and who was involved in filming it is fucking mind-blowing why did she go next door to the guy did the guy next door give her the book so she bought it from him so right, apparently that, because she's, again, a, she's a poet apparently um, right, she just has time it. to just lavish about uh, doing women's stuff um, she went to the antique bookstore um, and bought this book and I love it because when she goes to speak to the guy and she's like that, like, if I'm this guy, not many people are buying antique books from my shop. So when she comes to the door and she chaps at what, like, fucking 11 at night or whatever, and he opens the door and he's two crutches, um, hobbles, takes ages to get to the door to open it, and she's like, I want to talk, you, talk to you about the book. And then he's just like, what book? And I'm like, you would remember this woman <laughs> yeah. buying books from yeah. you. You would, you would fucking remember this chick buying the, the like the book called The Three Mothers. Maybe he's he like, just played it cool. He's totally playing it cool. He's like, <laughs> like he's like, what book? Um, so like, she she grills him for information. Um, of which she's like, you know, some people think it's real, some people don't. And, and you know, and she's like, but the building next door. He's like, listen, there's all these books about all these weird buildings, and I'm like, is there? And then he just rattles it. He's like, the Peacock Building and in Spain and the like all these just made up things and she's like right but what about that smell it says in the book there's a weird smell he's like yeah that's from the old cake factory terrible line Te I, I loses <laughs> something in the translation it must um it's like so the old cake factory why do you have a problem and she's like no I don't have a problem and he's like cool but she'd read in the book that the way to unlock the secrets of the building are one be in the building two go to the basement and three the key will be under your soul under your foot um and so she comes out there yeah, the way it comes out is it says three keys that's what the way they yeah. that, that keeps saying which again is confusing because 
they say like the second key is in the basement. Yeah. The third key is under the sole of your shoes. Yeah. And like, well, technically that's the same place. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll get to, which we will get to. That's, that's the question. It's the, it's the, uh, 100% got, is the same yeah. place. So. I've got a note. I've got a note here, right? Uh, usually, if it's a direct quote from the uh, movie, I will put quote marks in. I haven't put quote marks in, so I just was wondering to make sure if this is B or if this is Argento's words. Uh, women are the worst for believing nonsense. <laughs> that's what the old man says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Women are the. That is what I'm saying. Like the script is. Very, very chauvinist. Women are the worst for believing nonsense, and then later on, poetry is women's work. <laughs> it's just like, and that's a woman that says that as well. It's one woman speaking to another yeah. woman. Um, it says that line, and you're just like, oh Jesus, we're setting the cause back like a hundred years. Um, but yeah, no, that's the line in the movie, right. and that just is check, most, just most check, likely. Just right to double check that. that it was, there was, there was me. Anyway, so my next notes here, this is this is one underwater. So yes. I've got yeah. So before that, I've got like, look at those blue lights. This is who's in the basement. I mean, this bugging building. And then, oh, look at that stuff underwater. That should be the stuff underwater that shouldn't be underwater. I'm just jizzing everywhere right now. Yeah, so it's I, like I, this scene. I love it. I just don't know why. It just makes me just. It just looks so cool. What? It's like that. It's like my my urge to eat soap powder. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> and it, I don't know why. It just smells and just looks great. I just, just like, like oh, I eat it. Is, so our dental. Uh, Apparently was struck down. He hates this movie. He, he does not like this movie um, because he was very ill when he made it. He was bedridden for a lot of it, um, and as a result, he had to call. He said when he was driving the taxi. He said when he was driving. The t- uh, he had to call. He's usually as well. If there's ever, if you ever see, see any scene with black gloves. That's him. That's him. Yeah. Hmm. He, which gets creepier the longer these movies go along because he technically kills his wife a few times and then kills his daughter more than once um which is a wee bit weird um but then he did have his daughter repeatedly raped in a movie as well so um I acted rape one and just stress it wasn't actually like a like a snuff movie or something she uh, she fully hates men now then didn't she she fully what hates men well i she's think like, she's but... yeah yeah well she like yeah. I, I i mean what i mean the last man did she meet her dad she didn't meet to her dad. The last guy she was in a relationship with was uh, Anthony Bourdain. When he died. Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, like at that point, I'm not saying there's a I don't see there's a correlation because it looks the same. But <laughs> well, after you know. after after he died, she she got a woman, and I was thinking, yeah, he's probably about the pinnacle of a man. Like after that, yeah. where do you go? Yeah, I mean, so she she's went the other. But so I so he was very ill, and he had to lean into other people to help him with this shot which is where the maestro comes in Mario Bava is credited with a ton of stuff to do with this underwater scene um, and you there's I'm not saying Argento couldn't do it because Argento's cinematography is fucking incredible but you can see there's a, there's a softer approach to the, the light and specifically the camera work the set design doesn't feel typically Argento as well which reminds like a lot of the New York skylines that you see from scenes that look like they're models, like like yeah, yep. It's also it looks like uh, you know when uh, Kevin McAllister's in Central Park in Toronto and he's looking yep. up at the hotel. That's what it looks like. Well, that's Bava did that as well. Bava actually created them out of uh, milk cartons. Because oh. like a lot of people don't know, this, but like Bava was like a, an incredible painter, 
and a lot of his movies. Have you ever seen incredible cheapskate? He was an incredible. It was an incredible, incredible cheapskate as well, uh, which is kind of why he's like, like when you see the budgets of these movies and you see how we managed. It was all camera trickery and painted backgrounds and glass painting and all the rest and superimposition and all. He was just, he was just a different level on that. And as a result, his movies always looked like a lot of money had been spent on them when. You know they really hadn't, so he he lent he lent a lot into this. But the underwater scene, like nothing had been done like this to this point, and it's just it's fucking mind blowing because, like you say, it's the colours, it's her going down. The water is crystal clear. She drops yeah. her keys uh, in here, and she's trying to reach them. She eventually has to go into it, and it's a submerged room. So I get an actual yeah. proper room, like. I, mean, I don't know where it fits in the physics of the whole building. Doesn't but... uh, it? Doesn't. But then the building's physics are all off later on when there's apparently like a subterranean mansion and then a medieval cave. Uh, but it's, it, you were, don't question these things. Just roll with it. Um, but aye, so she swims down there, and while she's doing it, a body comes out, um, and like everything in this movie. The, it's like there's a scene later on with cats where there's someone just clearly throwing either live that's cats the, or that's stuffed my cats. Favorite, that's my favourite scene in any movie ever. <laughs> like, I'm just pictured the crew at that point just chucking the cats at her. Because like, the they're clearly being shit. thrown. Yeah. They're, and they're, they're, they're flying the claws out to grab one of the first things they can grab on you on that. Just, just get a hell of a thing. Imagine that day, uh, like, you, could, you couldn't do that now. You, you just, you wouldn't, <laughs> the unions wouldn't allow it. But imagine that day on set, right? This is the cat scene. Oh, right, what's going to happen? Well, the cats are going to terrorise you. How are they going to do that? Well, everyone here is going to throw a cat at you um, and you're going to have to try and beat them off um, as best you can. Uh, but yeah, like, so, so like, this body comes out and attacks her, like, a hundred times, even though she's, it's moving away, the next scene, it's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just blowing in. Yeah. What is the, um, who is the body? Do you ever find out that just the bodies in this underwater? The, the assumption I think you're supposed to make is that the dead body is the alchemist, I think. Okay, but we find out who the... You find out at the end. So I think the assumption okay. is that it's supposed to be a red herring, I think, doesn't lead to anything. Doesn't even no. make sense out with it's there for a scare. And once again, if you're looking at it from a dream perspective, it's the sort of thing that would happen in a dream. You may attack by a dead body for no reason and then you would escape it. So Yeah. Um, what I did like uh, in terms of this, but obviously about the whole kind of room submersion war, just that just find it weirdly fascinating. Mm. Um, I never really bothered about like wet t-shirt competitions. I fully understand them. But you know it's one minded you know, it's one minded. She pulls herself up the first time is, yeah, and you is, can uh, see through that short you're like, why can't I see through that bra? Yeah, I get the <laughs> She manages to escape out of that and then she's clearly panicked, obviously, and she heads up and at this point, this is... She, the goes to, she goes to the left and she's waiting the left and then some people from the... She hears their voices like up the corner saying something along the lines of uh, there's a girl in here who's absolutely batshit crazy and would yeah. make her feel terrible if, uh, because she's read the, read the book. Uh, she, she sneaks away and runs upstairs. She, she sneaks away, but, but when she comes out the water and runs away, a black glove picks an item, so does, from, yeah, yeah. From, picks an item from the ground. So um, this is the first indication that there might be a killer involved um, but we're not going to go any further with that for a while but she basically gets up into she gets up into her room um, and you know she's safe and she phones the police right because there's deep bodies in the basement at all well yeah there's, you would think you would think, you would think. but uh, she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't she writes a letter to her brother she writes a letter to her brother uh, addressed to New York um, <laughs> and, uh, my, to brother, her... my brother New York <laughs> yes, 
my dearest Mark. Um, and so she writes this letter to him and basically sends it off to him. And then we are transported to Rome where we're in this massive auditorium and our brother Mark is sitting there. And we're in a will and tie. Yes. Good night, Will and tie. Fashion was it? It's a different time. And this is like a, it's a, a musicology class. Like I said before, musicology is not a, a, a term that exists. It's a music class. And they're learning about the classics. They all have the old big retro headphones on, the big massive fuckers, um, which are back in fashion, I would imagine. And Even then, the physics of this, this lecture hall is pretty pretty wild just in terms of like where they're all sitting kind of vertical almost at their old behind desk. But it's physically in front of you, so it's not like wrong physics. It's actually there. It's actually quite cool architecture. I really hope that that's an actual lecture hall and not just like a weird cramp set they had to make. To- I, 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 if known Argento, it probably is a, a, a real location. I'd like, yeah. He's another one who would be like, yeah, I just like the, I like the dimensions of this room. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah, um, I like the dimensions of the room. So, so whilst he's going through this, her, his friend arrives, uh, she sits beside him and he gets distracted uh, several times by, like you mentioned before, a woman who is very attractive and is sitting stroking her pussy, her cat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, do you know this? I have no idea. Um, probably not, actually. Probably not. Probably, probably, uh, it's probably just because cats are supposed to be witches for noise, isn't it? That's probably what it is. Well, the, the, the assumption supposed to be made here is that she is the third third mother, technically the mother of tears. I didn't make that assumption. But that's fine. I've seen this movie like a hundred and fifty. No, I've seen it like a lot. But... I knew she was weird. I knew she was supernatural. But why did they give her... Why did they give her... Uh, music and earphones because they're sitting on the desk as if she's part of the class as if she turned up and she's like there you go there you go oh I'm not in the class I'm just going to fuck I'm, ju- I'm going <laughs> to distract this guy and then I'm just going to walk out yeah. once like everything goes crazy and wind starts blowing in that no one reacts to yeah like, so I like the way they try and make it as if the wind's actually only blowing back but the people behind them can't like they can't not make the wind hit the fringes of people yeah, behind yeah. them <laughs> the thing is do you know it would be a lot easier if they just made her disappear I, I th- that would have made 100% more sense no yeah, but I think they're holding back on the supernatural element at this stage, um, if you know what I mean. Like, because right. there's, there's nothing up to this point, nothing supernatural has actually happened in the movie. It's still very right. much grounded with you've seen a black glove, so you're thinking, right, this is another Jallo, um, even though you know it's like a connection to Suspiria. Um, but even then, Suspiria has a black glove killer, so I mean, that's just Argento's, he just likes wearing black gloves and killing folk on camera. Um, he follows her out because he's distracted and leaves the letter she reads the letter and goes back to her apartment which happens to be in the third so the mother of tears building so how this works i don't know but she goes there and while she is you know <laughs> it cuts from no it cuts it cuts from there to her jumping a taxi because i've got my next note here uh, so the the girl bolts half the class with the cat, she disappears, and then the score picks up from well, the girl. Suspiria. It's, yeah, it's, 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 like, it's almost identical to the scene in Suspiria. She's yeah. in a taxi, yeah, yeah, colours are all weird, and the music's loud as fuck. So she jumps in the taxi, and then in the pushing rain. She, so the, yeah, the music's fucking really does not fit the scene at all. She reads no. the letter, and then she's like, fuck, oh, you take it somewhere else, and this is her general drive in the, the taxi yes. at this point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so yeah. Then she's like, she just turns like, can you actually take me to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yep. And then it's like it just it was a very weird. Well, yeah, scene. she like because like she changes. She decides that she wants to get her hand on the book, um, 
So she's decided she wants to read. Oh, that's right. She goes to the library. She, goes to, she goes to the library. So this is why she's changed her I mind. She wants to go to the library. Um, but yeah, this I is ask? basically... I swear to God, it's it, like composition and everything else. It's the same shot from Suspiria. It's the same when she gets out of the car, but the yes. taxi at the library, and there's like a glu- glucose needle, monitor needle that's sticking outside the taxi, and she manages to prick herself right in the middle, sleeping beauty style of the finger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, like, what are the odds? How can the same shit happen to the same guy, Scott? Um, but yeah, so basically, she uh, and it's probably worth stressing as well. Like, um, the score here is the score for this whole movie is insane, and it's done by Keith Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer, um, very famous keyboard player. Um, Argento seemed to have a thing for keyboard players with Claudio Simonetti doing, you know, all the stuff with Goblin, and then specifically into this. Um, so this is the first. So he did um, Deep Red with Goblin, he did Suspiria with Goblin, and then he went with Keith Emerson. And I would imagine, although I don't have proof, that may have been a studio decision. Um, It's American money. It feels to me like that's maybe a little kind of studio decision there as opposed to an Argento decision because he enjoyed his time with Goblin. He enjoyed his time with Claudio Simonetti because Simonetti's right back to do the score for Tenebrae. So, you know, it's like there's that. But... And saying that, I love the score to Inferno. It's fucking bonkers. Like one minute you're. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. But that's. I can't wait to talk about that. I can't wait to talk about the score at the end of the film. But just, right now we're just in the library. Yeah, it Cannot builds. Wait. It builds, and when you get the actual it Inferno theme, it doesn't build. It fucking jumps half a cliff. It just goes for it, man. It goes for it. This guy's. This guy's like. There's what's like that? Ge- big lips. Yeah, the CC and Lennon like stocks. What it's called is a gap up. And there's like no discernible reason why it goes from here to way up here. There's no like you know, there's no path. It just goes boosh boosh. Mm. And that's what it does. It gaps up later on in this movie. In fact, it gaps up at it gaps up at random points. Uh, yeah, for no it's reason. Just, and like, yeah. very much like Suspiria, like at times the intensity of the music does not match the intensity of the scene. Yeah. And it's it's weirdly off but it's off putting in a lot of respects. You're like, why is it so loud? Is something bad gonna happen here? And then she gets at the taxi and you're like Oh, she pricked her finger. Right, that's really the merit. The... Yeah, you would think, because you would just assume, or even just like when I was sitting back with the pricking finger, I still, yeah. still assume that was something to do with like starting off the, you know, the ritual yeah. against it, but it doesn't fuck off. It doesn't it's do never, anything at all. It's never doesn't, discussed again. Never, never goes anywhere. She goes into the library and um, this is fucking great. She gets up the stairs. She walks up the stairs dead slow as if, yeah. why are you at the library? And yeah. it's like there's a guard at the library top of the stairs or like, like a bellboy or whatever it is going to find the library. And as soon as she gets to the top step, she looks at him and goes, He's <laughs> like, He's like, are you okay, miss? Like, oh, fuck off, she's just going to pause She's like, can you hear the score that's playing right now? It's fucking crazy. Um, so she goes through and it's like, it's a, a ye old stuffy library um, and she works her way through it and then she eventually gets up to, <laughs> I, I, I love Argento because Argento just can't be bothered like really doing like huge amounts of effort and story. So she gets up and she's like, "Do you have a movie uh, a book called The Three Mothers?" <laughs> like, she's like, that. Yeah, it's right behind you. you. Like, like yeah. she's like, "Oh, thanks." <laughs> it could be. Oh, why do you want that book, Miss? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's in the restricted wing of it. Like, no, no, it's not that. Yeah, it's behind you. And she's like, "Thanks," because um, so she just don't give a fuck. So she gets that. She gets the book and she's like, "But she's just got the book." You would think the the bellboy would have said to her when she was going through. By the way, the library's only got five minutes left open, uh, so... Be quick, because she literally goes in, she gets the book, and then the man's walking with the, the bell. <laughs> Hi, everyone, like, get your books, get the fuck out. And she's like, oh, oh. And then somehow she gets lost, 
And this is the first, like, big jump in... Really? Yeah, reality. And this is what... The first time I ever saw Inferno was in 2001. And I was working in Global Video at the time. Uh, I was part-time in Global Video and I could get as many videos as I wanted to take home to watch and bring back in for the following day. And um, I remember renting this out um, along with... Uh, Filchie's the black cat, um, and this was. Uh, it was mostly because I was in. I was, you know, I was heavily into horror, but I wasn't really into the Italian stuff. But I was aware of the Italian stuff from the video nasties. I used to have bootleg copies of things like Cannibal Holocaust and stuff, and um, I knew who Argento was. Uh, but I don't think I'd. I, I think at this point I don't even think I'd seen Suspiria. Uh, I think this might be the first Argento movie that I was consciously aware of. Right, I've heard of Argento before. I'm going to check this out. I took Inferno home with me, and um, it was this scene where she's she goes into the essentially into the bills of the library and she opens the door and it's like something from like a medieval fucking like future realm or something because there's clearly mod cons in this room but there's all these like containers bubbling wax on the highest flame like the flames are like to a level like once it's bubbling you don't need it that high it will perpetuate that on unless you're trying to make it evaporate and she went to that room and that was the exact point i was like that I love this director because this doesn't this feels like it just feels weird it feels like there's a scene missing Oh, there's an explanation yeah. that's... Like, there's definitely an explanation, listen. Yeah, 100%. And what I... Once again, what I love about this is, like, this... There's a description at the end of this movie as to what the three mothers actually are. Um, and a very dodgy reveal because he didn't have the budget. Um, and it has not aged well. Um, it didn't age well at the time, I don't think. But, um, like, this is the first kind of example or justification that there's another mother in Rome because she essentially stumbles into the lair of the third mother so the one that's not in the movie all the way through the large tall entity with the scaly hands that you never get to see their face this is the place I think that's the third I think that's the third one I think all three of them are technically the same of course because she's not and she's not in New York yet. She's still sorry, in Rome. See what I mean? This is just it's, it all looks exactly the same. It all looks exactly the same. There's there's nothing outside. There's no like leaning tower of Pisa or anything like that. Like to, to give you any indication that you're in Rome. So like the like you just have to kind of try and hang with it. But yeah, like she she walks into this room and she's like, excuse me, to this fucking hunched over giant who's <laughs> like like a black deep, deep in his alchemy uh, work yeah like he's like he's, he's mixed he's trying to find a way to change like lead into gold and um she's like excuse me uh can you help me i'm trying to find the exit and he's like it's the other door and she's like <laughs> all right and then reminded me of did you ever watch uh, nightmare as a kid not nightmare um no it was a nightmare the, the, not the nightmare. Uh, the one with the helmet thing. What was it called? Oh, uh, I forget. It's called. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Like it reminded me. <laughs> like you walk into the room, like three steps forward. The door's on your right. No, you're right, not your left. <laughs> like oh, oh no, nasty. You to get the guy. Uh, but like he's he's all hunched over, and she's like, Let's, but then what I love about this is there's a this this apparently the person sees in the mirror her holding the book 
And yeah. she realises... There's no possible way she could realise this. She realises that she's been holding the book at such an angle that had someone had a mirror in a particular place, they would see this. And she's like, uh. uh so she tries to hide it. And then we're going to get another example of we're teasing tits but not giving it. Um, well, can I, before we get into teasing yeah. tits, can I just say that because, because he, he says, like, realises and goes, that book, and holds her over the bottle of wax. Now, let me ask you here, is she not supposed to read the book? Yeah. Um, because the book was clearly, obviously, albeit hidden right behind her, obviously, but it was hidden in the shelves of the public library. So surely if you didn't let anybody look at the book, they should just kept it in his weird wax dungeon. Which makes me think the, like... Fuck, I forgot about that shit. Yeah, it, 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 it makes me think, like, what are the logistics of this building? Is it that case that the the, the third mother has dragged her into a different place? Because well, the building asking, that she walks out... Is it, would, it be, would it be fair to say... Um, that she walks into the past, possibly, possibly. But then you said there's there's new kind of time equipment. Well, there is there's stuff in there like is that like there's not theoretically if she can if she can go through the door into the, the lab then theoretically like, the guy with the cloak can come out of the lab. Well, this when she runs out the building that she exits isn't the library. Oh, I didn't cut that. So I, this is the weird thing about it. So like basically he turns around, give me the book, and she's like no, and then she runs, and then uh, she almost escapes, but her blouse gets caught on the door and she yeah, oh no oh no she's caught her top on the door just rip it open hen there's yeah. no time for modesty that's what I've written down she, and she doesn't and once again no, Argento doesn't give you it but uh, like, like, in saying that he does give you an incredible set of banging tits and tenebrae uh, like just like primo tits and tenebrae but none in this movie he's like no 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 We well, this is a classy joint here she will get caught and she'll physically at the last minute escape and she's safe well, you think she's safe, but she's going to be dispatched. She's. Uh, you think she's. You think that she's um, saved by a man because a man keeps her company with the and I quote uh, <laughs> back and forth. Uh, she meets a man in the lift of her building, which she runs home, yep. terrified of this weird. This is, this is Carlo, the neighbor. <laughs> she runs in and says, "I can't remember what she says to him, what she says to him." But his response is, uh, "Sorry, this is sorry, this is me paraphrasing." <laughs> All right, women I've just met. I've got nothing to do for the next few hours. I can give you some company. As literally says, I've got nothing to do for the next few hours. I can give you some company. And just goes into her this is, This is Carlo. Carlo's supposed to be one of our neighbours. And uh, Carlo is the sort of guy that is... Uh, Looking for a shag, um, basically. Oh, I, I, a shag I, 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 for the longest time, I thought Carlo was played by Mikel Suave, the director of like Cemetery Man and all the rest, who appears in small acting roles in tons of movies. Generally, is a guy that will die horribly, um, and it's not. I thought like, for years I thought it was, and it wasn't until like IMDb became like a tool we could use, relatively easy, that I found that like Carlo is not not played. Uh, by Mikel Suave but they go into the room and the first thing she does she's trying to calm down the first thing she does is here strange neighbour um, listen I'm panicked right now listen to some classical music while I go away and fix my top and he's like okay woman that you know that is my neighbour that I want to sleep with I'll listen to your strange classical music I mean you would though you would do it 100% I would, yeah. dude I would listen to music that I absolutely 100% could not stomach if I thought there was even a chance of me getting my hole. Um, every single thing, every yeah. single t- like I, I wouldn't even. I, I would moan a bit later on, but like in the in the moment, I would suck it up. And this guy sucks it up. And while he's doing that, <laughs> are we getting on to the part where she comes back to try to tell him what's going on? She tries to explain it to him, which once again, if you thought <laughs> there was a chance, 
Can I Have you heard of the three sisters? What do you mean, those black singers? Sargent will be in funny with it. He's 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 having fun, uh, but like like she she tries to really because she's not read the book, so she all she has is what was written in the letter as knowledge. So she's trying, she's getting all fucking wrong. She's re- right. really the, the, the information all wrong to him, and uh, he's kind of like he's just playing around with it because he he thinks he's in with a chance. Meanwhile, the mother of tears, if you're following the the logic that this is the mother of tears. Um, with the black gloves is basically fucking with them like she's using her powers to mess with the electricity she creates for no reason at all a like a, a paper chain of people which she then starts chopping the heads off um okay and then um the the power goes out and carlo being a like a brave guy once again solidifying the fact that he's like if i fix this light I will see her vagina. Um, thing is, right? Thing is, here we go. It also exposes Carlo as being specifically a dark kind of guy and not worth his salt because it's nothing to do with the fuse box if it's going on and off the way it's going on and off. It's nothing yeah. to do with the fuse box. I've got to do with the fuse box yeah. if it's going on and off that. Yeah. Uh, but what I did like, can I just jump in here? Yeah. Uh, when the, the bedroom light goes off, which is normal light, it, you're still lit, lit up with that blue and red, which I still fucking absolutely love. I'm just going about it anywhere. Yeah. But Edgar Wright has just like, Oh, 100%. Loved it as well. Yeah. He's like last night in Soho, that bedroom, and uh, she turns light off, and the, the red and blue neon outside. Kind of, I mean, ah, love it. Uh, do, do, you watch, do you watch? Do um, you There's a, a YouTube channel called Trailers from Hell. Do you watch that at all? No. Right, so it's owned by Joe Dante, the director that did like Inner mm-hmm. Space and fucking Gremlins and all that. So he has this company called Trailers for Hell, and basically what it is is they get directors in. Um, and they sit there and break down trailers of movies they fucking love, like genre stuff from back in the day. And Edgar Wright is on all of them. He's, he's not almost like he does loads of them. And he, he's forever talking about uh, Mario Bava. In fact, like one of the ones, and this is how I know what you're saying is all linked back to that. It's clearly obvious, is because he's a huge fan. I think he does the trailers from hell on Bay of Blood. Um and he starts talking about it, and at the end, every time, I've seen Bay of Blood easily about 30 times, but every time I watch that video, as soon as he's finished, I'm like that, I'm going to watch Bay of Blood. Like, he's just so fucking enthusiastic about it, I'm like, I want to watch it again. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a particular, like these guys were getting those movies at a particular time, which was obviously informative to them for making movies. He's obviously a bit older than us, so he would have been getting that, when Inferno was on the nasties list, because Inferno was on the tier two video nasty list, um, along with Suspiria. So both of them were, were seized movies um, at the time. So yeah, but anyway, uh, right. So like uh, Carlo, being the gent that he is, goes away to fix the lights. Um, she's like, you you need to keep speaking to me though, so I know you're still alive. And he's like. I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm still here. And for some reason, she's like, I now must find you. And she walks along and he goes silent. Yeah, well, why, why did she do that? Yeah. I have not a fucking clue. But she goes to find him and she finds him all right, but he has a fucking knife <laughs> right through his throat, which he then proceeds to fall on her and just go... Yeah, yeah, his death is specifically and only there to cause her trauma. That's the only thing he does when he dies. Like, it's not to do with him dying. Yeah. He's yeah. literally just grabbing her and she's sitting away. He's chasing after her as if he's a demon possessed. He's been stabbed in the neck. 
And it's nothing about him dying, it's just about he how much... He can die peacefully and quietly with minimal trauma on her, but he's decided that he wants to crawl on her and <laughs> basically spray his blood all over her face. So, and he, he does. And but then like, that's it, because he's like, well, if I'm going to get this bad, just going to be a face up fucking damn right there. I'm going to touch yeah. her tit, is what he's saying. Yeah. I'm, saying. I'm going to get a tit, that's, <laughs> well, that's um, my dying wish. And uh, he's, he's taken a long time to die, and then a black glove comes across grabs the old knife and fucking twists it ensuring his death um, he dies and then we don't see her death we only see the after effect because she has phoned Mark to come to the house you, no, you, 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 see like, you see her get attacked but I don't think you see her die yeah she's still, well, she gets stabbed in the back right in the spine yeah, yeah like, so he, he arrives though Mark arrives Mark, swinging Mark arrives and um, you've got a note on this <laughs> He's very nonchalant about uh, his, his his friend and uh, colleague dying. He takes it and he's straight. Oh yeah, no, but yeah, no. Mark turns up to the apartment. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. phoned him and said, "Have you read your?" She leaves that. She phones him and she either leaves a message or speaks to him, and she basically says, oh, "Is this after? Is this after she gets stabbed?" No, this is when they, when they go into the room at first. Uh, when Carlo's right. there, before everything starts, she, when the music's playing oh, and Carlo's right, distracted, right. she phones Mark and she's like, "That did you read your sister's letter?" Because you really should. Weird things are happening, and uh, come across to my apartment. Um, clearly, a cop block Carlo, and um, <laughs> Carlo, like I say, Carlo dies. She gets stabbed, and then Mark shows up. And like, like I can't stress this: Mark takes this genuinely in his stride. Yeah, I just love again. Can I talk about the dimensions again? Because this yeah. one, I believe, this one's a set. I don't know if this is a real build because the camera this looks is so a set. brand new. This is, yeah. this is a set. You can yeah. tell it's a set. It yeah. kind of looks like this. It's almost the same idea. It's like that kind of. I know it's like nineteen eighty, but it's that seventies vibe, and it's off the same idea as when they when they uh, set up the, the the roof of the mall in Dawn of the Dead as yeah. a as a living space. That's yeah, yeah. what this build. That's what this bedroom <laughs> looks like. You've got the big, you know, big flat carpet that looks so great, and then he just walks over to the. Uh, the table and there's like a couple of shards of glass that have been clearly placed not broken yep. placed on just on the floor yep. and then I don't know why this um, particular wall in the building exists but it's like a material wall like, I don't it's know. Like, it is. doesn't even make like because like in Japan you get those you get the sliding doors. Yeah. Uh, but even those but are made of paper. Like like a, yeah, but yeah. They're, they're made of paper. They're not made of like a cloth material. Stretchy. Yeah. Which this is. <laughs> So and he turns around just as she puts her fucking let's like that scene from Nightmare on Elm Street where Freddy's hand goes through yeah. the wall but pulls back. But except her hands come through and she falls right through this, dead. And he just looks at her and goes Damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then the next scene is no police, nothing. The next scene is him on his phone to his sister going by the way. This is the most frustrating scene I've ever seen in the whole entire movie like there's no need for the whole that they can't hear each other he's like I can't hear you yep. Mark Mark come to New York I yep. can't Rose I can't hear you Rose. I can't I, I, hear you I can't hear you Rose I'll tell you what I'll do I'll just come to New York um there's no reason for this because ultimately what you're led uh, you you can look at it one of two ways the first way is that the entity in Rome is stopping trying to stop him investigating with his sister in New York if that's the case you know what just make it that like use your spiritual powers and be the voice on the other end of the phone uh, everything's yeah. fine Mark don't come to New York or, use your black gloves to pull the cable at the wall it's something right but basically it adds like her saying come to New York and him not being able to hear it does nothing to the story because ultimately he goes to New York 
that supposed to be some kind of interference with the system? I'm, I'm, like, just, I'm just assuming. Because oh, there's no other reason for it. There's no reason for it. <laughs> other than maybe, maybe, maybe in 1988 it was really hard to phone it, actually. I don't think it was. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think it's, it's one of those things where once it, it's, adding, it's adding suspense, I suppose, but it's clumsy suspense, which, once again, there's a reason I I love Argento, but a lot of his movies are their whole scenes where they're completely indefensible and you it's like a vibe thing you have to just go with the vibe and not with the story but this yeah. is it's egregious because like I say that if from a storytelling point of view this is to get him to New York she was telling him to get to New York so that we don't need to disrupt the line if it's to put him off coming to New York he still just goes straight to New York so it adds nothing to the story I, either way he ends up where he's supposed to be or not supposed to be so very confusing but he heads there and then we go back to spend a bit of time with Rose um, so like Rose Rose dies in, in a way where like Argento likes to have like a lot of fun with his deaths and Suspiria and this one in particular where things are so over the top someone will get thrown through a plain glass window or you know have their head sliced off by a plain glass window in almost every movie he loves that scene loves that uh, but she she um she decides to do own investigation which is silly um and as she's walking towards the door to open the handle it's a glass handle which shatters in her hand which cuts it great effect here because there's a, a it looks like the blood not great effect because it's that poster paint red stuff but the gash in her hand yeah looks uh, yeah, real. I agree. yeah it, it looks cool um, and she's like, oh, <laughs> like, ah, my hand. Um, and uh, everything's going weird. And then um, she's essentially attacked by a big scaly hand, which once again will be explained. Well, I say explained. Will be shown at the end what that's from. Um, you would assume then that it's the scaly hand from Rome. If you, then, especially if you hadn't clocked that you're in different places. But that, then you'd also then just realise that the three mothers potentially all have the same scaly hand. Yep. Oh, well, because they're too busy with the alchemy and they're not on their moisturising vision. But then the, at the very end, the the second mother says that there's you know they they're observed as three entities, but actually all three entities are the oh, same yeah. thing. So, yeah. so once again, doesn't make like any the, sense. Like the, uh, the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, it like, doesn't make any sense because by the time you get to um, Mother of Tears, which is what well, is like uh, up to what. 27 years later he throws a lot of that away he's like fucking I'm not dealing with anything let's get there in fact he, if memory serves he didn't even write that it was the it was the folk that wrote the the remake of the toolbox murders which is not a good remake um, I think you could have got somebody better I mean you've got your Edgar Wrights and your Joe Bagosies and your Wyndham Reckons loving the things that these people have done how come we can have the Edgar Wright could have probably created a brilliant finisher to this yeah. trilogy Oh god, yeah, yeah. Two thousand seven, he's already made Shaun of the Dead. So well, it's why I got so confident. frustrated, like when they did the remake of Suspiria, right? And I saw it in the cinema, and I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" Like, absolutely loved the remake. And then I was like, "That what they need to do, what Amazon needs to do, is not give um, look up the the remake of Inferno, but what they should do is they should pick a different direct- like if Luca captures the seventies." perfectly in that movie they get a different director and capture the 80s for Inferno right 
So setting the ease, get someone who has a track record, and Edgar Wright would be perfect for this, actually. Get, get someone that has that visual style, has that visual flair, and they do Inferno, and then set in the 90s, go black metal as fuck with the 90s, and do Mother of Tears with a different director again, and that's your Three Mothers trilogy. And Amazon could afford to finance that a million times over, and why they won't do it is just another bugbearer in the life of... Because they fucking set up the Three Mothers thing so well in Suspiria as well, the remake, where I was like, yes, I want that sequel, and we're never going to get it. So, Maybe they don't realise, maybe we should just tell them. And one day, when me and, uh, me and uh, Big Jeff uh, sit down um, over... I don't know, a tea or something, and uh, he's like, Duncan, listen, I own the world. Uh, what can I do for you? I'm going to say, make Inferno and give it to... give it to a director that can capture the 80s better than any other director. Listen, Alan point zero zero one five six Amazon stock. Uh, so I'm in there. I'll, I'll, I'll send them at the next At uh, the next shareholders meeting, just <laughs> raise a point yeah. of order. Uh, point of order, uh, uh, um, Jeff. Uh, I've got this idea. So the, basically, um, she she dies in a pretty vicious way. I like her death. Our, our death is brilliant. Our death yeah, yeah. reminds me uh, a lot of the, yeah, the first proper right. death in Suspiria, where the woman gets smashed through the window and then drops through the stained glass window fucking hung like it's like yeah. overkill to fuck but talk my, about my note specifically is uh, it's just a short note I know I keep going on about it but the curls <laughs> the blue and red during the window kill I love it yeah that, I love it yeah she, she like she like, what I love about this as well is the setup the payoff is doesn't the movie the, 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 uh, it's like the windows like sting by a guillotine it looks like a guillotine and then is this the one that you yeah, it, it, it technically doesn't <laughs> chop her. It's a false kill, which I love. Yeah. So it, her, her head is slammed into nails, which is what explains the blood on the carpet that Daria Nicolodi steps on when she comes into the room. She gets two blood spots, which is the two things at the back. But like her head's pinned down. This guillotine thing comes down, stops, doesn't sever her neck, and you're like. All right, and then the fucking hand grabs the window, brings it back up, and then slams it down just for added effect. And it's it's Argento being fun. He's he's, he's being playful. Um, but her body disappears. Mark arrives, and Mark just decides, you know what? I'm going to stay in the same building, in the same room as my sister, who has vanished. Um, I mean, it's got to be a lot cheaper because she's probably paid the rent at the end of the month. You so. would like to think so, although the rent in this building must have been high because this has, like, your own personal butler and maid who we'll talk about later on. Um, yeah, well, that was in... That was in... Uh, Nicol- Nicol- Nicolette's, isn't it? So that was yes. in her room. But did Rose didn't have a butler, did she? Well, they seem to be just walking about the place doing stuff. Yeah. See, that's what I thought. See, that's what I was going to be asked. I went to the head of uh, concierge. I thought they were going to be open doors for me. And all that. <laughs> Just sharing. Did they fuck you, Sam? The office. The fuck all the people. I think you paid just to sit there. They fuck all. Bring in your route. You come in too late at night. That's what they did. <laughs> You're like, uh, uh, I was expecting yeah. Uh, uh, well, I was expecting yeah. This one's running on a bathroom. You're not going to look after me. Um, the so it's two caretakers. Um, and of course, for the observant ones out there, uh, the and uh, carryover or just coincidence of actors? I think it's um, deliberate. Okay. I th- I, I want to think it's deliberate because Argento isn't known out with Daria Nicolodi, who's in a relationship with 
he's not known for carrying over actors and actresses into multiple projects. You very rarely right. see the same collection of people appear in more than one Argento movie. Um, out with, like I say, family. He, he always carries over family. Darren Nicolodi's in, I think, three or four movies. And then Aja Argento's in about two or three as well. So um, so he, he, he'll do it that way. But right, So anyway... <laughs> So there's a there's a. So, wait, no, sorry, let me just, let me just, let me just, his name is Dario. His name is Dario and her name is Daria. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> this is when we're in the lift and then Mark's going up the stairs and there's a woman, where we guy in a wheelchair who doesn't speak. Yeah. And she's like saying how he was, he's an old professor and he's like, what would you do? He's like, I'm here doing musicology. He says, oh, a professor of toxicology. How yeah. lovely. He's like, what? No, no. Like, <laughs> like, like I'd be leaning like, into that. Like, see, if, like I studied music at college, right? And any time I ever tell anyone when they ask me what I studied at college and all like that, music production, no one ever says that's a useful life skill. Like, no one ever fucking says that. So, toxicology, I'd be leaning. Yes, I'm a doctor of toxicology. Do you know what it feels like? I mean, the, the back and forth. It feels like the back and forth between Ben Stiller and the serial killer and some of it, Mary, when he's like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going. You know that movie seven seven minute abs. Well, I'm going to uh, eight minute abs. I'm making seven minute abs. And he's like, oh yeah, what about six? No, not six. six. Seven. He's like, oh, toxicology. No, not toxicology. Musicology. And you just think of yeah. being back and forth. It doesn't really make any sense. Or any well, she, well, this is this we get the classic line where he's basically like that. I'm I'm Rosie's. I'm Rosie's brother, and she's like, "Oh yeah, that strange girl that that, that sits the room and she's yeah. no, she, she writes yeah, she's poetry. A, she's a strange, she's a poet. Yeah. Oh yes." Uh, uh, oh, yes. of course, yeah. <laughs> Such a dismissive Poetry. A profession for women. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> like... <laughs> so this nurse feels like a character that like shouldn't have any attention paid to her, but is actually, as we'll find out by the end, pivotal. Um, and it, it creates like a surreal worldly view. Like it does create this kind of weird, like this is not real life. Yeah. It's like a res, subnormal, it's supernatural, even if it's not anything crazy at this point, it couldn't actually exist in reality. The, the people just don't seem right. Even, even the fact that the whole, the whole thing, everything that's going on with these people is lit and blue and red, as much as it looks absolutely amazing, these things don't happen really. But when she's out in the street and it's like the red lampposts yes. and stuff, yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. you won't find public place that because it's not practical. It's, it's no, the street vision. lights are red. Yeah. You can't see anything. When, you, when, you're, when you're completely light something up with one colour, they're yeah. taking that colour out of the spectrum from your field of view, so you're yeah. fucked up. So you're never going to do it. That's why you need to be white. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why the light things are like. That's why the light things are boring when we relate to the light. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so already all these all these locations are all not normal. They're all... And they're not normal, Scott. They're built yeah. on hell, hell mouths. Um, and uh, so it's so basically, he has this interaction. He goes to his sister's room. Sister isn't there. And then all of a sudden starts to hear a floating voice which is coming from different locations. To- I was so ready to write that down as I know. I was like, what the fuck am I there? I going to yeah. like, just answer the door, you yeah. fucking idiot. And, he and then obviously opens the door, <laughs> bumps into Daria Nicolodi. Always great to see her. Um, she will return in one movie's time for Tenebrae. And one, like, she clo- her, her closing scene in Tenebrae is maybe one of my favourite, like, closes to a movie. Um... Like it's, one day, like that's it's in the lineup, by the way, for the when the new Argento movie comes on Shudder, and you guys come round to my house and we get we get beers in and eat pizza and and watch Argento movies and hear Baz complain about why he hates everything Argento's ever done. We are watching Tenebrae, so um, okay. Well, I was going to say that for the first time watching for that that event. 
yes, we are watching that movie and you will... You, like, Baz is completely confused. Like, I remember doing the review with him on Podcast Under the Stairs and um, like we got to the end of it and uh, like he was talking about one thing and he's he had this like definitive view of what the movie what happened in the movie and I was like, no, that's not right. And he's like, what do you mean that's not right? And I was like, well, no, this and I can't obviously give you the spoiler, but I was like, no, there's this is happening and he's like, is it? And I'm like, it totally is. And he's like. How do you know that? So I explained it out to him. Like, clearly, this happens here, this is this, and this, and all that. And you can you, you physically got that. I did not pick up on that at all. He's never watched it since, and he keeps, we keep threatening that he will watch it again so he can see the exact bit where his theory of why the movie doesn't make sense doesn't actually make sense. And the movie actually does for the most part, makes sense because there's a whole other thread of the story that he just did not pick up on. He thought there was like a, a weird kind of left turn right at the end. I'm like, no, 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 no. They were setting that up from the beginning. <laughs> I'll probably take the same uh, as bad as I'd imagine. <laughs> I'll, 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 keep, I'll keep you going on this one. But So Daria Nicolodi's outside. She explains how the how she was managing to throw her voice, which is not ventriloquism. It's all these little holes, these glory holes, peep holes, so to speak. <laughs> and the which wall. also don't really serve too much purpose. I mean, I guess they could have, like, architecturally, if you're, like, making secret buildings, but, like, they don't really do it to the they story. Don't, they don't add anything. But she's been using this. She says that she was friends with Rose and... And this is how they, they found this secret out and the building's actually quite weird. And uh, she comes into the room and basically her husband uh, or partner or caretaker or whoever shows up and's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And she's like, oh yeah, I totally need to get the fuck out of here. Um, and as she's going out, uh, she finds that, that she's got what she calls red paint, but it's blood, which she doesn't reveal. Um and when she speaks to she goes away does some stuff but then ultimately comes back to speak to mark and she's like by the way i found blood and did you know that did you notice the the glass handle at the door was cut uh, it, was, it was smashed so that's a bit weird and he's like yeah totally weird wonder what happened to rose um so they kind of join up together to do a little bit of investigation once again a la deep red because daria nicolodi is one of the people that investigates the murders in deep red uh along with the male counterpart so i'm like i'm loving what we're doing here we're just hitting all the sweet sweet spots as investigators they're pretty shit i just like the way that when, when they go to investigate she comes to tell him the story and she's she just reads the, the like as if she's never heard it before rose told me about a book and then goes to again start talking fully about the book yeah. but then <laughs> like it goes through the tube. This is the only part of the tube to make any sense. It goes through the tubes, and all you hear is like this maniacal. <laughs> yeah. And they look, and it shuts up as if the guy who was in the secret room was like, "Whoops." I gave, I gave, I gave away my position too early. Uh, shouldn't have but done that. But then they go right. So like, so they're, they're investigating, and they go to this door and says, "This is the surface entrance, but nobody ever uses it." And then Mark's just as good as saying. Well, it's fucking money. It's like fucking money to do it. That's just how it feels when he's looking at it. It's like, so the way he goes to the door, she's like, I'm looking at you. He, he goes he goes to investigate some more stuff and ends up and can I ask you, see when he, yeah. so he goes to investigate so he goes to the service entrance he goes down the stairs into some, another basement right? there's yep. fucking weird there's a good basement there's loads of basements and then there's like uh, an AC unit Yes. It's lighting up blue. Now, again, I, I fucking love the colour, <laughs> but 
there's no need for that to be lit in a blue boot. Who no. put the bulbs in there? Right? But the, so he looks in it, yeah. and then there's a wee weird wink into it that fucking knocks him unconscious, messes well, they, with his heart, gives talk, him a heart attack. They, what they t- well, they talk about the weird smell that is apparently around the building. And I think this is supposed to be like CO two or something, like because he, he essentially he chokes. And oh, that's normal. But like once again, it's never explained. Um, yeah. And what we get is Rose gives it a bit of time, and she's like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go through the service door to find out what's going on." And then as she's going, the windows fly open, and she's looking down as a creepy, like black gloved cloak wearing motherfucker is dragging him by his heels along yeah, the Yeah, so this is where the physics of it doesn't make sense because he's been yeah. through the door, he's been down in his basement and then he's getting dragged past these windows. She's went across, looked at the windows and it's like a gap, you know, like the friend's window like in the two apartments. There's, yeah. a, there's an alley. Ugly, ugly naked guy. Uh, so Who the you fuck? See. Where's, how the hell does this not make any sense? Room 237, Scott. If you've ever watched a documentary, you'll know that Kubrick was fucking with you with the design of the... the... I watched that until they started talking about the fucking desk tidy being fucking... There's a guy halfway through that movie who was obviously recording it in his studio and his kids were coming and making noise in the yeah. background. I mean, this is not a professional movie, was it? Yeah. We could have done this a bit better. Um so she she goes to she goes to find out what happened to him. She disappears. Now, this is the where the best part of the movie is, is it not? Yep. Yes, we've already discussed it. This is where they just fucking Fuck a fuck ton of cats at this woman. <laughs> yes, so she she is <laughs> she's walking she's walking in a room and she essentially gets mauled with cats. Some of them are real, some of them are clearly cat toys, and this is what I love about it because she does the 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 it's, people are throwing them at her. Which yeah, once it's again, not trained animals but no. acting away with a handler. These are they're just throwing cats at her head. At her head. Yeah. This is well. You've got to remember in the time frame as well. This is Argento's wife, life partner. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the the separated in the mid eighties. Yeah, And that's that's why like you can see like the deaths of Daria Nicolodi start to get a little bit more mean as the decade goes on. He really starts putting her through the fucking ringer. Um, but yeah, it's like so she gets loads of cats flung at her. It's all like crazy, and um, yeah, she isn't like we are led to believe, um, and it's never really, we never really swing back round to it that she is dead because we we never see by her cat. again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's death by cat. Um, but uh, he comes to with all these people in the building. Yeah, we come to him, and here comes here comes Mustachio and Mark again, out of breath from the wee wind. Yeah. <laughs> This, she actually looks a bit like Rosemary's baby. The way that the, the weird people are like hanging over him and stuff, all from the apartment, and they're all kind of hanging over. Yep. And he's like, 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 oh, it's my heart. Like, how the fuck do you know? Yeah, can they all just not shut up? He's a he's like, no, he's a musical. <laughs> he's a <laughs> and then they're like, I need heart medicine. And they're like, here you go. Yeah, have some, have some of this weird liquid that I just have on hand. Yeah. And a whiskey glass. Uh-huh. And, and he doesn't drink any. He no. pours, she pours some of his lips, and that's enough. And uh, he wakes up in his bedroom and some time's passed. We don't know how much time has passed. And um, yeah, no one knows what's happened to Daria Nicolodi. Um, uh, but he's decided, un- unperturbed by the situation, that he's going to continue on. Meanwhile, the wee book dealer from next door is fucking raging about the cats. Yeah. He's like literally the angriest guy about the cats. So he's having an argument with the caretaker. Um Carol, the caretaker, in the lobby about all these cats, and they're like, 
I don't know what you want us to do. And he's like, just sort out your cat problem. To which he then goes, he goes out and he's, it's so fucking strange. He goes into his bookshop and there's a cat there, which he then, Peter was not involved with this because he grabs this cat and this cat is not happy about being grabbed by the scruff of the neck. Well, probably seen previously, probably fucked up the mum's head, so that, anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then we get the fake cat having its head smacked off a chair. <laughs> and then he has a, a burlap sack full of cats that are all just like, <laughs> and he, he puts the cat in there, ties it, and then limps across to the, wait for it, limps across to the pond in apparently Central Park which is a rat-infested pond, which also has a hot dog stand at the end, <laughs> because this is where everyone's coming to buy hot dogs beside yeah. the rat-infested pond. There's so much. There's so much to say about this. This, this, this scene pond. is fucking bonkers, the, the, man. The fact, the fact that well, one, the way that he's moving on those crutches, that boy should be a wheelchair. Yep. <laughs> it's like there's not work cat pond. <laughs> Two, I did notice the hot dog stand in the background, and I was like, well, what's that even there next to this water for? But obviously, that comes in clearly on. Yeah. The you say it he, comes into play the, later on. It comes into play in the most fucked up. It's nightmare logic. I've told you before. Is that like when you think something is going to help you in a nightmare and it turns out to be not a help at all, but your brain tricks yourself into thinking this is the help that I need, and then it doesn't help you. That's basically it's the best like depiction of this I've ever seen in cinema. But it's also fucking ludicrous. It doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. no. Fact, but also when he when he does it, the water doesn't make any sense either because it's all yeah. ankle deep until the one bit they put the cats in, which is deep enough to put the cats in. Yeah. And then does he not know how water works? Because then he puts his crutch in the same well, bit. He, 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 he puts the cats. He first tries to find a bit. And that doesn't work. This is the biggest. This is like a five-minute scene, by the way. He like he he can't find a bit to throw the cats in because it's not deep enough. Which to me would be like go somewhere else to get rid of the cats. But he then, he then wades in, like you say, his feet, his feet clearly aren't working, um, and he's kind of like like just swinging himself further and further out of the water, which is all just shoe level. And then he gets to a point where he puts the cats in, but it's not deep enough to drown the cats. So then he has to lift the bag again, and then fucking get carry over till he finds a bit that is deep enough. And he puts the bag in, and then puts his crutch on top of the bag, and pushes it in, like you say, denoting that's the deep bit, and then to turn round, he puts his crutch in the deep bit, and falls on his cunt. So. It's, uh, yeah, he, he falls in, face palm, though he deserves it for not knowing how water works. <laughs> I am... Um, what we've missed here, right, we've, we've skipped past one of the best scenes in the whole time, maybe, when Mark yeah. wakes up, and the colours are all normal again, for some reason, I don't know why, he's, he's just looking out, and it's almost like he's back in reality. Yeah. But he then goes to uh, he tries. I think he tries to find somebody. He, he finds a woman at the front door, right? That's right. The, yeah. the, the and he's saying it's such this weird, fast-paced dialogue, right? And it's like uh, she's like, "What happened? You were passed out. Did I hit my husband? I don't have. I don't have heart problems. What was that? He's like, Where was the guy? That gimp? <laughs> the bookstore owner? Where was the gimp? The bookstore owner? Goodbye. And it was like it's like this really weird, but. Like four or five pieces of information yeah. cross paths back forth, and then boom. 
they also call him again, which is probably which is kind of funny. Yeah, um, and it's like, yeah, yeah. As, but once again, I, I, our general can't be fucked with this. It's like that. Let's just get to the bit where the guy gets eaten by the rats. Um, like, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's because they've got they've got these really weird, like not making sense, fast paced dialogue back yeah. and forth. But then you've also got the scenes where he wakes up, like in the room like the one previous when it's the lights back and it's like a really long scene from standing up, walking oh, yeah. to the window, oh, yeah. and looking out. And it takes like a long, long time. And you think, I think that's where a lot of Western audiences yeah. are making it made in Italy, whatever, even if it was made for American audiences, I think that's where a lot of the mainstream audiences were lost oh, yeah, in yeah. terms of the, the way these decisions, in terms of what the scenes made it. Aye, it needs aye. to be, you need to be in that mind frame, like you say, you need to, you need to understand what's going on, and you need to go with it, be happy to go with it. Yeah. Yeah, like the like when you watch a movie like Neon Demon, the aforementioned Nicholas Winden Refn, isn't a huge amount of dialogue in that, and it's specifically paced slow. But Winden Refn knows that you're coming to see one of his movies, and this is going to be a lavish slow burn, so it didn't feel the need to add that exposition in. It kind of almost feels like Argento still has this hangover from the jallos he's making where he's like that, I have to describe what's happening in the mystery, where, like, you really don't in a mystery which is resolved in the way that this movie is. Actually, the less you know about it, the better it actually works. And we don't get... There is no... There is no payoff to that scene, that exposition. It's stuff that we already... From an audience point of view, we knew everything that is discussed between the two of them. And we just... We can assume that Mark gets that information you know, off camera without going, well, that doesn't mean, you know, like, to me, yeah. not having that scene in it actually aids it more than having it in it. Because it doesn't add yeah. any value to the, like, you're not, you don't learn any new data about it or anything, like, beyond. So, we, is it, anyway, our, our dudes falls over, face plants in it in the mud, um, starts to notice that there's even more rats than he thought. Are the rats, are the rats witchy or are they coincidental? I think this is all witchy. Okay. So I think every, and do you think do you think then that the subsequent uh, character who appears from the other is, is possessed? I think this is yeah. I think yeah. I think everything that happens here is because he is a nuisance. He knows too much, and the witch has just decided to get rid of him, and she gets rid of him. And the, this is one of my favorite deaths in cinema. Did I can't I can't honestly watching it back, watching it back, I was smiling ear to ear because this this guy gets gnawed on by rats, right? Most of which don't look like they can they look like they're they're, they're, just they're like what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> like and it, it cuts to scenes of rats crawling over each other to add tension. But then we have got like great scenes of like fake rats like chewing on hands and like like good viscera and all the rest. And while he's like they're eating me alive, they're eating me alive. And meanwhile, at the end of this lake, there's a hot dog man who looks like a butcher. Why a why a guy that works the hot dog van would be fucking chopping up huge chunks of meat like it, like it's a hot dog van they're all, he opens a tin or a jar he puts you want a bread knife at most like, yeah, but he's like huh well this he hears a guy shouting and then he literally does the Benny Hill run da, 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 like up the length <laughs> of this lake and the guy's like I'm being eaten alive and he comes up and he's like ah to help me and then this guy fucks him in the back of the neck with his cleaver three or four times and it is my favourite, honestly, it's my favourite fucking thing about this. Because the whole setup is, whether you like Argento or not, right? And some people don't, right? The, the, to me, this is the, when I talk about dream logic, this is dream logic. 
because it, does, it doesn't make sense but I know I have had dreams in the past which have been nightmarish that I've you know you look out for help from someone that you would expect to help you that doesn't help you they don't chop your head off mind you but they don't like it, like it plays in the reverse of what you're expecting from the whole setup very much like the the guillotine scene earlier on where you're like that's coming down and chopping her head off and it comes down and it doesn't chop her head off and you're like all oh, right, what's going to happen next? And he's like, well, no, it is going to chop her head off. <laughs> like, you think this guy's going to survive? Like, oh, here comes a guy to help him. And yeah. it does the exact opposite of what you expect, even though everything in the setup has been, he's coming to save, he's coming to save the day. And this character, we don't get to see his face. He never appears back in it again. <laughs> and it's not even detailed in any way, shape or form that he is possessed by... Or this is the witch that's taking this... The witch moonlights as a guy working in a hot dog van. Uh, wait, it yeah, like, look, uh, do we find the, the bookstore on his body? Is the post involved? Is this, well, is he like, still selling he kick, hot dogs? He, kicks, he, chopping with a, he, the he, he kicks the body... He throws a knife into the water, kicks the body into the rats, and then apparently... They would eat the whole thing. You know, does the... My work here's done and fucks off home. I don't know, it's not explained. It's not explained and it, it, that's the end of that character and no one will ever refer to him again. Uh, meanwhile, Mark is kind of stuck in the apartment and now he's like that, you know, I can solve this case by taking a pencil... <laughs> don't make any sense. Taking a pencil to the drawing where he draws a couple of lines... This doesn't make any sense. He draws a couple of lines scoring out. I think what it's supposed to be so yeah so he's figured out so what he then yeah. does but it doesn't make any sense how he figured it out it doesn't, it doesn't make, make any sense, sense. Actually, it, it doesn't make any sense physically no. but so <laughs> doesn't make any sense well the, the drawing of the 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 in the book the three mothers the drawing of the building is hand drawn right and it's kind of pencil lines across the the, the facade of the front so it doesn't actually physically have the gargoyles in the detail so, so what he does is there's a bigger space but this doesn't make any sense so what he does is so he draws this through as if it now would like if by drawing these lines this way now it looks like the picture from the book so he draws these lines scribbles along and then he's like that wait one second this now resembles the drawing and then you see him like realising that this picture is actually the building he's in and he's like this is the building. And if this is the building, then the third key is under my soul. Right? And then we stop with him and we're not interested with him anymore. Instead, we're now interested with the two caretakers in the building who decide to do a little bit of robbery um, from the Countess. So, played by Daria Nicolodi. So, they... <laughs> They're in a room, the 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 guy Ka Kazian or Kazian, um, he's raking through hard stuff. He's like, ah, oh, look at all these jewels and, and, and gold and all the rest. He's like, ah. And then fucking Carol, the caretaker, she comes in and she's like that. Aha, right, uh, we will put these away. And, uh, you know, and she's like, yeah. And they're like, but what happens if, you know, she comes back? And she, she isn't coming back. And I'm like, well, is she in on it then? Does she know that's like that Daria Nicolodi's dead? Because she's like that. No, now we will live the rich life. 
with these this bag of jewels. We We watched the goodies. Uh, I, I, my my daughter sat down um, and watched the goodies with me. And my wife is notoriously against the goodies. Really? She watched it as a kid and she just didn't like it, so she just decided it's a shit movie. And she wouldn't let. She keeps fighting against it. We all sat down to watch it together last weekend, and it finished. And I, I turned to it to winter, and I was like, "That, what do you think?" And she was like, "That, ten out of 10. <laughs> and I, I, I turned to Corey, and I was like, "That, what do you think?" And she's like, "That, it's actually a pretty good movie." And I was like, you "Vindication, vindication." <laughs> but yeah, I was like, in the and I was explaining to her, I was like, "That, the ship's sailing away with all those jewels. It's not a case of." you know possessions nine tenths of the law or anything like that that's going to a museum all they've got is a handful of rubies that ain't paying off everyone's fucking mortgage the town isn't exactly saved this guy this cunt's already ripped up the contract he's like that there'll be no signing of anything ever again and everyone's like yay and I'm like, well no you're still still back payment I'm sure that the, the bank doesn't accept uh, I'm late on my payment for the mortgage will you accept these yeah. pirate rubies uh, <laughs> it's, it's just it's ludicrous but this is a ludicrous scene so like like she's like well live the high life and all the rest but what you need to do is you need to go upstairs for some reason and phone Daria Nicolodi's husband and basically say that she has the countess has left and not only has she left but she's left with this is the incriminating line with all her wealth and jewels <laughs> she didn't leave anything here that we now are in possession of so he goes away and this is one of the iconic scenes of Inferno this is one of the reasons that I actually got banned um, in, the, in the UK uh, from the censors he goes upstairs does a phone call things start going a bit crazy he's attacked and then we hear a smash uh, Carol runs upstairs and comes into the room and she can't find him, and he's sitting on like he's sitting like on a like an ottoman or something, and his two eyes have been gouged out. And at the time, I think that effect freaked people out. Like 1980, I think it like totally freaked people out. Doesn't look great now. I will say this though: the eyes being pulled out and hanging out better than 2005's hostile eye gouge scene. Hundred times, hundred times better, because I there's too much wiggling and moving around. It was the, uh, the, the hostel scene, it was the, the white stuff that came out when he cuts it off. It confused me. I was like, is that meant to be like eyeball white? Like, I don't think that's a liquid thing. Yeah. Does Eli Roth know anything about my <laughs> Um But yeah, yeah he's like, a ecologist, you see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, his eyes have been gouged out and he's kind of like, ah. He also looks like a completely different person, which as much as it's a cool effect, it's a confusing scene because you're I like, don't think that it's I don't think it's him. I think it's I think it's I think it's someone else in prosthetics. It's probably it's probably it's probably Argento. It's like that. I want the eye gouge thing on me. But she's like, oh, what's going on? And then for no reason at all, um the the large cloaked entity drops a flaming curtain on top of her. Yeah. And she fun. she kind of walks around the place. She falls through a glass window because it's an Argento movie, and then falls down like the, the length of the building into the basement. Um, one of the basements through a, more glass and sets off a fire which will be important to the end of the movie um, it's not explained at all once again why any of this happens now, also what happens as well is they say something about a filming or a blood mint yes. and you see them in three times in the movie and it goes from filming to press to filming yes okay 
Uh, um, <laughs> it was a flat circle. I don't know if you know this. Um, <laughs> are we back to uh, are we back to market because this is about to yeah this gap is, up. yeah like Mark decides that now is the time that he needs to finally solve the mystery. Um, the fact that he goes he goes upstairs to where he thinks he's really blind and he sees a wee tiny wee hole in the floorboards with hundreds of beasties from it. Yes. So he gets some wire. Yep. But he gets me somewhere and he just does a wee scientific experiment to see how deep it is and the floorboards. Oh, that's about three feet. Yeah, and oh. then he remembers the third key it's is beneath the shoes. But only if you're standing the second Only if you're standing here. Only if you're standing here. I think it's supposed to be that if you're in the if you're in the building, it's beneath the soles of your feet. Your, your shoes but like you mentioned before the but, second key is found in the basement and this ultimately also takes them to the basement yeah because if you were if you were, if you were in the start where Rose was in the water dog yeah then the key would be above your head yes 100% so Damn. it's all bullshit uh, he manages to pry up um, a wooden floorboard and finds hey, no it takes him about 20 minutes to pry up the wooden floorboard but it takes him about 3 seconds to go hammer nails right into the, the concrete floors underneath it yep he's, he's realised he's realised that we need to speed up this end and, and uh, he, he, he finds a letter um, from just conveniently right under where he's digging 100% right there. And this is one of the things I hate about, right? This is how, I don't know how I'm going to describe this on an audio podcast, but I'll try and show you the screen. Yeah. You go in for the, the thing and they go like this. And they just grab it. And they reach it. everywhere. Yeah. Like, it's harder to reach outside where the thing is than they eventually go straight yeah, on like, that, like, that's not how your hand works. Like, <laughs> you put your hand into something, you grab what's directly below it. Yeah. Um, you don't, like, you don't rummage everywhere around the side. The first thing you would check is exactly where it is. Uh, but it finds a note. And this Find note it. adds nothing to the story. Outwith it confirms what the three names of the, the the mothers actually are, which you already know from the book. Mater yeah. Suspirium, Mater Tenebranum, and Mater Lacrum. But they don't have, there's nothing to do with the names that mean that they it's saying the names. Or no, doesn't it give doesn't. you their real names right now. That. And then there's a lot of Latin underneath it and the name of the alchemist. So, once again, confusing as to what element this actually adds, but he now crawls down, and I'm like, the first time I was watching, I was like, oh, we're going to go into a new part of the building, and he basically just goes right into the basement that his sister was in at the start. I love the fact that he's in this kind of weird kind of, like, three-foot mid-level thing, and he goes under it, because he puts his body to the whole first, and he stands there for long enough, and he doesn't know what's under there. Yep. His little, basically his... Dicken Ball's area of his body is exposed in this place. Yeah. And he's just standing there for a good minute and a half. And he goes down under it and looks about and sees it this weekend in the room. And then, boom, the music. It's like so fucking intense. You're like, what's going on? And he just walks. Yeah, but he gets to a part where he goes, it's something like the music like, it's it's it gets so much sounding like something I've heard before that I was wondering if Brian May has uh, oh, a lawsuit <laughs> in for Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> oh, well, it's like 1980. This is before Bohemian. Well, no, it's uh, yes, it works. I checked that. Ah, it's yeah. five years after Bohemian Rhapsody, so I think oh, yeah. it's definitely a bit of yeah. influence K- from K- the uh, Keith Emerson's yeah. having a little, uh, a little bit of fun here. Uh, but he essentially, he, he walks about the place, eventually finds that there's another level to this like there's another down level here 
which he goes down and finds another lavish apartment where the nurse that we saw earlier on is pushing the professor that we saw earlier on along and then she just leaves him and he's like huh and then the professor kind of looks up and is like huh and then he moves into a room mark goes down into that room and then the professor has and this is rife in 70s italian movies for whatever reason there's always a scene where there's like weird technology that doesn't make sense and this has this guy's voice box doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. I love it. It's the new voice box you get when you've been smoked too much. It's like the tuna fat scene where they go like, oh, your gums big, stupid. Well, the thing is, he's not got a tracheotomy or anything like that that would explain <laughs> why his voice yeah. isn't there. But he puts his collar around him and, like, everywhere around him is hooked up with these amplifiers which speak out his voice, which I love because... Who's he talking to any other day of the week? Who's he talking to? The better thing about it is he's been there, he's been waiting all day for Mark to come down the stairs. He specifically tells Mark to be quiet, like keep your voice down. Meanwhile, he's like, "Hello, <laughs> I got a voice box on." So this is I'll a big it, reveal. He, 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 he says, "I guess you know who I am." Mark yeah. says, I, no, mean, I, don't I, I literally don't know anything. Like, he's like, I guess, I guess you finally worked out everything and you know who I am. And Mark's like, actually, I, I know less now than I did before I came to New York. Um, and then there's this the, the big reveal here. The big reveal is Professor Arnold isn't actually a professor. Who is he, Scott? He is the actor. He is the architect. I'm so glad about it, right? Yeah, he is the... <laughs> Never had any doubts. Uh, he is the, the architect who essentially built the three buildings, who essentially we're kind of led to believe is now imprisoned here as penance. Yeah. Because he's, he's so. very old. like So it's almost as like he's been kept alive beyond these years as punishment by... Um, the the Mater Lacriorum or whatever her name is. Um, who we will find out who that is in a second. Although to be honest, you should have guessed by now. Um, as soon as you realise who the professor is, he though he's like that. You need to come here so I can whisper something in yeah, your ear. Yeah, he totally falls for the little closer trick. But this didn't he? He's like, we need to be quiet. Meanwhile, my voice is <laughs> through the fucking thing. You need to come closer, you need to come closer. I know, I'll, I'll go closer to the speaker, mate. That's yeah. <laughs> he, goes, he goes closer. And out of nowhere, the professor produces like a, a toxicology thing. Uh, and injects See, if he was a student of toxicology, he would have known. Well, although he does very quickly realise, and this is, the, I just want to, I want to check this with you because... You know, my, I know what you're about asking. Yeah, like, it's I not a snake bite. It's not a snake bite, like, yeah, is it? That, is it? That is not how injections work. <laughs> <laughs> he, gets, he gets a partial injection in his arm, falls back, rips his sleeve off, puts his mouth to it, and sucks the injection out. <laughs> the thing is, they never explain what the injection is, or they never go back to it, so they have to, they're, they're allowing you to believe that this worked. It's, it's, it's his, uh, it was his booster jag of Pfizer, and he <laughs> suddenly realised that Bill Gates is trying to... <laughs> But the best, the, the best thing in the whole sex scene is because he, he jags him and injects him, yeah. right? Mark gets a fright and pulls back, which knocks the old boy off his Gucci and he's just drank <laughs> With his voice box, box, which is ironic because he can't shout for help. It's just like, <laughs> like so. But Mark manages to suck the poison at his arm uh, and then go across and then he helps you. But he doesn't, he unplugs the old guy and then the old guy's like, can he talk? And he's like, oh, I need to plug you back in. <laughs> but then the old boy just dies from what, falling over. 
I, I think... I know old people die for Bond. This, this mean, leads but, to my theory that he was being kept alive by the witch. I think she was keeping him alive, and I think at this point he's failed in his job to kill the dude, so he's of no use. She's just right. like... But... Like that's, that's, you that assumption. that's 100% assumption um, so then Mark decides at, you know like because he's like that you know there's there's someone else in this like in this and he turns around and there's a shadow in the door like a, <laughs> a nurse shadow in the door so then he opens the door and walks in uh, he opens the door and then walks through it's a medieval corridor yeah. with these stone like it's like a like a cave but all the stone has been carved into gargoyles so there's yeah. all these elaborate faces, which he then walks through as if he's like, it's not like the never-ending story where he has to run through that thing with the two sphinxes. Uh, like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But he gets, <laughs> he gets through this and opens the door and then there's a medieval long table and a woman... Can, yeah, uh, there's, a win- there's a window to outside and we've already seen him down at three flights into the basement. But... Once again, room 237. And uh, he's... <laughs> He's like, okay, and you're, what you're supposed to let be led to believe is this is Daria Nicolodi. Clearly isn't. Um, it's, yeah, I, it's, I didn't know it was. Yeah, it's the nurse. And uh, she's like, so she's like, ah, yes, finally you have cracked the secret code and transferred the thing. And oh, by the way, I'm not even actually here. I'm in a mirror, which she is. Like, yeah. so she was there, but now she's in the mirror. And then she reveals the, the grand scheme which is basically that the three mothers are misunderstood as using magic, is what she says. She's like, they, they, they misinterpret us as using magic. Do you think anything you've seen is magic? And I'm like, kind of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, maybe just a, that would explain some stuff. And she's like, it's not. And they think we're three different entities. We're all the same entity. We're all death. And at this point, she reveals exactly who she is. Now, I think on paper, Scott, this was going to be an amazing visual effect and it was going to look amazing and everything was going to go great but Masters of the Universe hadn't been made yet so the Skeletor makeup thing had never been tried and what you get is you pound the land skeleton (laughs) mask it's it's a terrible effect but you know what to to its benefit to its detriment and to its benefit um, it's actually a really really good scene and I was going to give it to its full effect if it wasn't the fact that it's a wee bit late and I've already been too loud in this different room I'm sitting in yeah. because my voice is obviously travelling right upstairs <laughs> but she says uh, we're obviously three different people but you know us by the one name and it's like here metal it's like Stone Cold Steve Austin making his way to the ring in 1997 with the with the glass breaks and the whole thing shattered and he walked through it. Literally, what you're missing. Da, 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 da. Like he's still like, like comes through, and it's the giant thing we've seen before with the long hands and all the rest. This indication of death. But by this point, the building's fucked and flames are everywhere. My favourite part of this whole part is when it goes like, I am dead. And it's like, she's mm-hmm. run, she's like in the, the, the ghost-like mirror and she runs towards the mirror, but then the mirror breaks and then reels it. Into, yeah. It's cool. Yeah, it's cool. But uh, Mark's response to this is, uh, fuck this shit. I'm like, yeah. He just turns around and kicks a door in and just bolts it. <laughs> he literally runs yeah. at the building, yeah. which I'll be honest with you, 100% what I would do. This is weird. I mean, this... it's, it's, it's probably the only thing that's been done because they don't do it anymore. The, the, the hero would stay and fight it and like, save the day. I, 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 I will defeat the day. He's just like, he's just like, fuck that shit, man. Yeah. But, and he just bolts at the door and that's it. Gets outside and that's it. He gets Pretty outside easy. as the building is burning down once again uh, and exactly <laughs> the same it, ending as Suspiria. 
it jumps back, it jumps back into the room again. And I love this because you get another shot of death like standing and it's still just the pound line with a big smiley teethy skeleton and the fucking uh, fires over the yeah. roof beams are falling down and it's literally that meme death just standing there in the burning building. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah, this, this is, is fine. Is like, like, it goes back to death and death's doing the Henry Zabowski down in hell now. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you a question, right? Yeah. So death just fucked up the entire setting and didn't even get to kill or enslave Mark. No. What was the point? So de- this is de- so, and the first movie and the first like so if you look at this as three stages or three cracks at the whip so to speak of like death motivation is never explained in here. It appears that only when someone cottons on to the because fact you think that death death pretty busy for all the people dying. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Death death's oh. a, it's like the, 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 the um, I think they did it like they used to do it in Family Guy with the Grim Reaper. Um, yeah, like, the deal. Yeah, I, there's there's a, a my my kind of understanding. Sorry, I was gendering death there. I don't dare get deal. <laughs> well done, good save. Um, but I I think that what as soon as someone becomes aware of the mystery that's when it kicks into effect I think death is just quite happy enslaving people and having prominence and power over its dominion so in Suspiria the dance school if you watch the original Suspiria not the remake the dance school is basically a way to enslave and trap and harness the power to prolong um, Mater Suspiriorum's power and influence in that building it's only when she starts to work out there's something kind of weird about this building, something kind of fucked up, that things start to kick into gear and then death tries to get rid of her. And this one, it's the same thing. Like, everything is supposedly fine in the building until Rose gets a hold of the Three Mothers book and is like, is this the building I'm in right now? Um, and that's when things kick off. Ultimately, there is... Th- to its credit, but also massively, massively to its detriment, the movie is very much like Suspiria. It is a ghost house, uh, essentially. It's a ghost ride. You you go in the door with no knowledge of something. It throws a ton of shit at you, and then you walk out the other end, and you've just experienced this thing. Um, in fact, Suspiria like goes as bold as at the end of it to say you have been watching Suspiria right at the very end and you're like, yeah, I know. Um, Inferno finishes with him getting out and looking back at the burning building, the cut to death, yeah. and it's almost as if you're kind of left with, well, that's two of the buildings destroyed now, so death's down two players in his team. We're going to go and get this Tenebrae movie. Yeah, that's my, that's, that's, that's my last note. It's going to Tenebrae now, but you've always told me that that's not the case. Tenebrae is not related at all. Uh, oh. Tenebrae is the name of the novel the novelist writes in the movie Tenebrae, and that's why it's called that. Um, and I get the I feeling, do like yep. the way it ends. Like obviously it jumps back and there's all things in fire, but it just jumps back and it's just like the, the over-the-top orchestral music just boosh and then the credits are rolling up yeah that's it you're just like it's not like there's no conclusion it's just Mark it's in the building boosh then yeah. Yeah. a lot of like Argento's like a lot of once again Italian stuff was influenced by um, like Hammer Horror and mm-hmm. old Hammer Horror movies like Dracula like they'd open the curtains Dracula would be like <gasps> And then fall over and die, and then credits. Like you wouldn't yeah. get the what you get in movies now, where like everyone gets together. And I can't believe we survived this thing or anything. One of the best ones, actually, maybe one of the best worst endings to a Hammer movie, is um, "To a Devil a Daughter," um, which was the second. 
movie based on a Dennis Wheatley novel um, that Christopher Lee begged, the first one being uh, The Devil Rides Out, which is my favourite Hammer movie, and uh, Christopher Lee was friends with Dennis Wheatley, who was this occult author who actually met and had huge conversations with Alistair Crowley, so all the rights that he would write in his books about like the occult and all the rest were from Crowley, and uh, like the first movie went really really well Christopher Lee's favourite role of all time was in The to, uh, uh, the Devil Writes Out so he managed to get the author to sign off to, to A Devil A Daughter and it is just not a good movie at all, it's like the fact the author fell out with Christopher Lee condemned the fucking movie um, and but the end of the movie, and this is a spoiler for a movie that's been out like 60 years uh, 70 years maybe, um the end of the movie is the the greatest just we couldn't think how to end this movie so let's just end it here and it's been building up to this like fucking like satanic presence all the way through it that the devil is going to come and they perform this right in this abandoned like hallowed ruined church ground and Christopher Lee's full on the because Christopher Lee's the baddie in it it's this evil priest and he's doing this satanic right and all the rest and there's all this psychedelic like wormhole starting to appear and a character grabs a stone and throws it and fucks it off Christopher Lee's head and he falls over dead in credits. <laughs> He's literally they finished the fucking movie, gets fucked in the head with a bit of flint and then they're like, that, I mean, credits. I like it. So, at that point they were like I mean uh, we don't know how to finish this let's just let's, let's get the credits let's get it going but like our general kind of follows that school as well there are most of these movies have abrupt endings most Jallos actually the ones that aren't trying to rip off Psycho where you have like a psychologist at the end going well see the reason he was the killer was because when he was five he saw his parents butchered him for, like without that explanation a lot of them are like if you watch, yeah, if you watch Four Flies in Grey Velvet, the the killer, <laughs> the killer, runs out the door, jumps in the car, drives along, gets the car gets smashed with a lorry. They go through the windscreen. Another car goes past. Not a lorry goes past with chains hanging at the back, which grabs the person's ankle and then drags them along the concrete. You know, like ripping their flesh off to death. Um... Deep red, the character's necklace gets caught in a, gets caught in a an elevator, and one of those old like gated ones, and uh, it severs her head, and the head rolls down the stairs, and it's like deep red. That's the end of the movie. He just he's like that. I, I do like the fact that uh, you're you're not making your your evil villains like unkillable. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's just you know this is all happenstance. It's just all circumstances happening yeah. here. And, this is how it played out. If the building is the source of power, like the alchemist says it is, as soon as the building burns down, that's the end of the power. You know what I mean? So I I, I like the finality of it. Like with, The finality of Suspiria is at the end, she's escaped and evil is dead. At the end of Inferno, it's the same ending. Like The building is on fire, our character has escaped, the evil is dead. Um, it's, yeah, because usually all of these movies, just the natural movies, three quarters of the movie, the books, like, you, you learn about the stuff, it's scary, and you figure out what it is. And through that movie, you're trying to your, your your heroes try to figure out how to stop it, and they learn the secret, and then they put it in place. Whereas it's just like these things are stoppable. They're just going to fuck yeah, this is this is the journey you went through, and then you know the way they did, kick the door and run it. Yeah, <laughs> it's scary enough. They can't chase you. So that that's Inferno. Is there anything else that you want to uh, cover before we 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 bring this into a would you recommend or not recommend? Um, 
Well, I, I'll just read, read my last three final summations while I keep my rating for you. Uh, yes, please, yeah, yeah. I'll better keep the rating secret just now. So my last few bits here, just, it's quite quite good. Love the colours. I said that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it does feel dated. Yes. I do hope they remake it the way they remake Suspiria. Uh, like we've already discussed, so I hope that that happens. Um, I've discussed already as well that the thing that kind of pulls me out of these movies is the kind of long, quiet scenes and then the weird rush dialogue. These are the things that I think I've done better in movies. I think, I think more condensed dialogue does make a better movie. It is enjoyable and, again, <laughs> I sound like a wrong record, but mega points for that. And, and I know that I am yeah. that. And like somebody who's like, you know, when you see on TikTok these like 20 year olds that are discovering, discovering Blink and you find Glory now. Like, I know that that's what I said. Like, I know there's people probably listening to this show and they're saying, like, no, you should be watching this movie and this yeah. movie. Oh, you <laughs> I know that, but I love it, right? And I've discovered that I love it and I've discovered where it's coming from. Yeah. I'm, I'm loving it. That's uh, so cool, man. That's so cool. It's the, 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 the comment you made, made originally about Jalo Shaggers, right? <laughs> in, in fairness, the points that you made are apt. I mean, they're, 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 like, Jalo is, as a, as a subgenre, existed for the longest time with the minimal of interest. And it's like, we've got to a point now that because of like Arrow and Scream Factory and Vinegar Syndrome and you know, like, there's there's jowls everywhere and like ones that have never been seen by most audiences and the big ones are out there and pristine like 4K versions where you can see the craft that went into them. Um, but I mean, there are so many movies and you're right on this where the, the, the kind of presiding factor of it Oh well, you know it's a retake on a Jalo, and you watch it, and it's just someone's used like a neon blue, and someone's used a neon red, and that's the extent of it. And it's passed off as that. Oh, they're you know they're really in their Jalos, and that's not really what I like. I, like there's only Argento was the one that only really Argento and Bava are the only two directors that really did that in their Jalos. Most of them, it was everything was plush looking very ornate very over the top like the people were always wealthy but the actual colour side of things the way that sort of stuff does a very 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 small group of directors did that and they did it not only in their jalos but they did it in all the movies that they did out with like Bava did supernatural movies Argento did supernatural movies both of them did colours like that it was just a technique and a style that they used to go through so you're, you're right in saying that that the giallo elements of a movie like malignant are mostly the setup it's the idea of someone witnessing a murder and trying to tell people about it not being believed and then essentially having to investigate the murder themselves whilst they're not the authorities um and that aspect is the that's the more jalo side of things. Yes, it had a black glove killer with an ornate knife uh, and all the rest. But that's the more that's the more jalo thing about it. But like, if you were to read what people were saying about that movie online, it was oh, it's total argento lighting, so it's a jalo. And I'm like, well, no, that doesn't mean fucking anything. Like, Ed, like you say, Edgar Wright's been doing it for ages, yeah. Um, and you could argue to an extent that you know one night in soho has jalo influences it certainly does with the black glove killer as well um but you know it's also a supernatural movie as well so it's kind of it's kind of like it's, it's doing it's doing lots of different things so it's not confined in that one thing and that's why inferno to me is more a supernatural movie than it's a jalo but you are right 
It's got a black glove. The killer is wearing black gloves all the way through this one, um, which is that's a predominant thing in the genre. That's one of the if you had a tick list of the five things that make a giallo, if you spoke to anyone about it, the top thing would be black glove killer. So, I mean, yeah. it would be... Red, has red and Blue Lights does not gel with me. It doesn't, although I would argue some of the best but, ones have Red and Blue Lights. So, uh, <laughs> I'd say, from my limited knowledge, I would say that Last Night's so was more jello than Light was. But that's just me. I, I, I would not disagree with that. I would not disagree with that. It reminded me... It reminded me a lot of uh, some of the Sergio Martino movies of the very early 70s, um, which I fucking love. So, there's nothing that makes me happier than chatting about Argento uh, in a situation where someone is coming to a movie which is now what 42 years old um, it's hard to look at it's hard to look at movies like that with, uh, with you know fresh eyes to take, take experience where it was like at the time and they came out but they were yeah. dealing with that thing yeah and it did this movie was not critically well received a lot of people were like that uh, no stick with Suspiria but what's weird about it is over time like a lot of these movies do they find a fan base and you find people that really like catch on to it Inferno is probably it's 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 definitely in my top seven. I don't know if it's in my top five or generals. I I think it's I think it's fucking great. I love it, but I love it because it's the one where I I finally feel it's a turning point. Sadly, in a lot of respects, this is the one where our generals like that. See the story side of things, eh, not really interested in it. See all the visual stuff and the the weirdness and the craziness and the the kind of nightmare logic of rooms that don't make sense and all like that. I'm just going all in on this one. Like, all my chips are in and I'm just doing that movie. And he doesn't do a movie ever again like this. It's the only one that exists. It's essentially, it's like Suspiria on LSD. He doesn't do a movie anywhere near this. After the non-success of this movie, he goes back to his bread and butter. He makes a giallo. The next movie after this is a supernatural giallo, which is Phenomena. Which is fucking amazing. It has a monkey with a, sl- a switchblade, um, whose owner is played by Donald Pleasance, who is rocking the worst Scottish accent ever. Uh, and he is a professor. And then, you know, closes out the decade with. Um, what was the one he did at the end of the. Was that his Phantom of the Opera or was that the 90s? I can never remember. No, Opera. Opera. Uh, which is like a full on giallo as well. Never goes back to do the, the supernatural stuff. Um, which is a shame, because um, I, like I say, I think for all its flaws, there's enough here that I think is really, really, really good. Um, and like you say, even just visually, this is, I mean, it didn't have the biggest budget in the world, but it looks like money was spent on it. Um, it yeah. looks like it does look, there's so many scenes that just look fantastic. Yeah. And even even saying like it's a supernatural film, it's, it's, it doesn't go, it's not out and out supernatural, it's yeah. elements. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like up until the the final reveal at the end, all the kills have been committed by a pair of human hands. Yeah. So, uh, which I, once again I kind of love. So um, on Chronicle, we don't necessarily chart what the grades are, but I'm curious and always interested to ask what the grades are to get an indication. So, would you recommend Inferno? And if so, what grade would you give it? I would recommend Inferno, but I don't know who I would recommend it to. Yep. I believe that anybody who I would recommend it to has already seen it. Uh, but in terms of grade, I would give it a 4 out of 5. Boom! Did. Oh, 
fucking love you right now. Fucking love you. Um, that's amazing. It's and a five. Yeah, oh, it's a that's, watching, that's watching it twice for this, yeah. for this episode and knowing that I will watch it again in my lifetime. Dude, I'm, I'm so excited. You, have you seen Deep Red? I'm not. No, I haven't. Deep Red's the other one that I was I, I was thinking when we do the Argento thing. Deep Red, Turn of Roo, Under and Dark Glasses and I think by the time we get to the end of that we'll all be saturated in our own semen it's going to be amazing um, and it's fucking bonk it's like even more it's, it's even more grounded bonkers like like everything's played serious in that movie but it doesn't make a lick of sense either um, Scott you uh, do some phenomenal stuff uh, where you accuse people of being jealous shaggers I'm only joking although I do want a t-shirt that says jealous shaggers do you know I, what? I might wear one myself. I know that wasn't a Jallo, but yeah, you know, I'm, 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 it's hot property right now to be into Jallo, and I think if we could start our own T-shirt brand um, <laughs> called Jallo Shaggers, I think I think people would buy it. I'd buy it. I'd buy all. <laughs> uh, so like, uh, um, but yeah, you're you're a busy guy. You do you do podcast stuff out there that people can check with archives are plenty. Uh, let the listeners know where they can check out your stuff. Yeah, we uh, ultimately I began doing Scotland Lane versus Evil. We have got a bunch of episodes out there just now. Most recently, our top 10 of 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a bit sporadic on the episodes right now, but you can go back to the back catalogue. There's lots of stuff in there that would get me in a lot of trouble. And there's two interviews with people where I embarrass myself. Holy, two celebrities. Um, I'm also, like Duncan said, it's that one course of all the joys of shite and other real blinders where I again get myself in trouble a lot and talk absolute shite. In fairness, we all talk shit on that show, um, so we, we balance it. And um, I, I will also say there are there are many many occasions where you come out the best on that show. Uh, <laughs> so like, I listen back and I'm like that. Scott is like it's like he's got a sixth sense when to like stop a sentence and then Baz for whatever reason feels the need to pick up on it and then carry it to its inevitable. Uh, we will get cancelled conclusion. Um, so yeah. I can't thank you enough for jumping on and doing this. Uh, Chronicle, um, I, I mean, depending on how many people eventually jump on this series and how long I run season four for, I've not decided yet. This could, there may be space to look back in. So if there's another uh, European horror movie that you want to discuss on here, which could very well be a Gaspar Noe f- uh, film, um, then then yeah, let me know. And also, I did not know uh, that his movie was playing at the Glasgow Film Festival. So I will yes. need to see if I can track them. I believe it is the same with the Straight Best. It's like the Tuesday or the Wednesday. Right. I need to. I need to do some. Uh, I need to do some logistics. Uh, for sure I will I will I will drop you a line and we'll see if we can get something sorted. Uh right listeners I'm going to take my uh, I'm going to take my final break of this um this episode here when I come back I'll be closing out episode number 4 <laughs> of it's episode number 3 of season number 4 of Chronicle right after this. And there you have it. My conversation with Scott McKenzie and his pick for a European horror movie, Inferno by Dario Argento. Please check out Scott and Liam vs. Evil. It's a great podcast. They've recently come back to the airwaves and worth your time. And yeah, as he mentioned, we do a show together called Jaws is Shite and Other Great Outbursts that can be exclusively found at tputzcast.com. There is a whole list of hosts that are in the wings waiting to join me on Chronicle, bringing with them 
something a little bit special, a European horror movie, some of which I have seen before like Inferno, but in the next episode a movie that will be a first time watch for me. These are always the exciting moments when you get a chance to sit down and check out things that, you know, you probably should have checked out before. Please check out the other shows on the Tea Parts Collective. Where to begin with has just kicked off its third season, looking this season at film noir and neo-noir movies. Doing the Nasty continues its run at the Section 3 video nasty list. And of course, Opera Omnia will be returning real soon with a new resident guest host and a new director to run the train on those movies. If you're so inclined, check out the podcast under the stairs, the main show, the one that pays the bills and keeps the lights on for shows like this. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for the feedback on our first proper review episode. It's great to hear that you guys are still out there checking out the show and getting involved. I would love to see you on the Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash chronicle podcast. What European horror movies are you hoping that we cover in the future? You never know. If you put it up there, someone might just select it and bring it to the review table. All that's left for me to say on this episode is Chronicle will return in one month's time. A brand new guest, a first time watch. Oh, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Chronicle is a passion project from the podcast Under the Stairs. Its whole purpose is to highlight and celebrate European horror cinema. I hope you'll join me next month. But until then, remember, as Dante once said in his Inferno, don't be afraid. Our fate cannot be taken from us. It's a gift. This is Duncan McLeish from Chronicle Podcast. An almanac of old world horrors. And ladies and gentlemen, until the next time, take care and I'll speak to you soon. Ignition, T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, liftoff.